Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Otaku Brothers Podcast. My name is Rusty, and today I'm not going to be joined by my forever co-host and brother-in-law, Ryan. He's going to be focusing on some things in his life for the foreseeable future, which is no big deal. We want Ryan to do what's best for him, and we will be sure to have him back on future episodes, particularly, most likely, on the 2023 Game of the Year special and our community Game of the Year special episodes as well. You know, those are always end of the year and beginning of the year Otaku Brothers staples. But today I have a wonderful guest, very big friend of the show and longtime friend off the show, Nolan. I cannot wait for you to listen to this episode. It was an absolute blast to pick his brain about Starfield, talk about the year of 2023 in games that has just been tremendous among many other things. So strap in, please enjoy this episode, and please look forward to more Otaku Brothers in the future. We appreciate your patience with the show to this point. everyone and welcome to episode 162 of Otaku Brothers. My name is Rusty and today I'm joined by a great friend of the show and returning guest, Nolan, also known on some pockets of the internet as APOC. Nolan, how the heck are you doing my friend? Rusty, my dude, you have no idea. I have been looking forward to this. It's like I haven't been behind a mic in so long and the honor to be there with you for my first time back in a while feels so good. I even like have butterflies in my stomach. Even though yeah. it's like, it's not like we're live, but it feels no. great to be here, man. It's good to see you. Likewise, it is so good to get behind the mics with you again. The last time we had you on the podcast, I think it's always fun to kind of do a quick look back. It was April 4th, 2020, kind of at the peak of the pandemic. The episode title was Nostalgia is the Best Medicine. Of course, a little bit of a play on your Young Nostalgia podcast. Right. That was episode 77, almost 100 episodes later. I think at that time I was playing Final Fantasy 15. You and Ryan, of course, were still talking about Animal Crossing, New Horizons, the thing that was keeping all of us sane uh, during the pandemic. And then I think at the end of that episode, I challenged you both to, to some uh, video game trivia, but it's been way too long. I'm so happy to have you back on the show. And you and I really haven't caught up a whole lot over the past couple of years, which is criminal as it is, mm -hmm. but we've been texting a little bit over the course of this year. And there's honestly, and I mean this wholeheartedly, no one I would want to have on the show more to talk about Starfield than you, because I know this is your one of, if not the most anticipated game for you in your life to this point, you've been playing <laughs> it for a tremendous number of hours and I cannot wait to hear your impression. So it's great to have you back on the show. 
Thank you, man. Yeah, I can't I can't wait to just like gush about it because, you know, I mean, I'm sure we'll get into it, how it how it's been polarizing across the board of like it's hitting or it's not hitting or it's just like hitting just a little bit. But like you're not getting that hook. So, I mean, yeah, yeah, I'm absolutely like 10 out of 10 game that that we'll get into. But basically, you know, sci fi. Absolutely love it. I'll get lost in it any single day. So basically, the time from Mass Effect 3, the Starfield just doesn't matter for me. All of that. (laughs) You know what I mean? All of it's just a blur. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Well, good stuff. We will be definitely diving deep into the Starfield impressions here shortly on the show. And because it is the spooky season, it's the month of October. Nolan and I wanted to figure out something we could do to be bring a little bit of spice, a little bit, bring a little spooky to the show. So at the tail end of the episode, we are going to be bringing our top five horror related backlog titles. So just five games in our backlog that are horror related, horror adjacent that we want to get to playing, but we haven't quite uh, maybe gotten the courage to put in the console and play to this point. And we're honestly just going to kind of shoot the shit and catch up because it's been so long. There's been a tremendous number of 2023 game releases that we want to get to, that we want to talk about. So we're going to be kind of just talking about the games that we have been playing recently for quite a bit. But before we get into that, Nolan, it's been three years. What has been going on in your world, my friend? Oh, man, there's a lot to catch up on. It's been crazy. Um, Well, I guess getting married is a big thing that happened that year. Yeah. So that was that was so good. Um, And then, uh, yeah, we moved one Eastern time zone now. So we were in Nebraska the last time we recorded in a one bedroom apartment, Um, moved a couple times. Um, You know, uh, what else happened? Um, So where are you at on the East Coast now? Yeah, yeah. So we're over in Maryland now. Maryland, um, okay. So I don't know if we ever told you the kind of story, but Michelle went to grad school in Nebraska, and yep. our initial want was to be on the East Coast. So after undergrad, we just took like a spring break road trip, Vermont, Connecticut, um, uh, and then Rhode Island area, just touring grad schools, upstate New York. And okay. then she's like, you know what? I think I kind of want to go to Lincoln, Nebraska. And I'm like... What? what the fuck? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, great experience. Um, and, and we loved our time there and, and still have amazing friends in that area that, that bring us back. But um, five years later, we actually found ourselves in the D.C. area. So we're like 30 minutes from the D.C. border for where we're at right now. Um, okay. And we have friends in D.C. So it's it's been helpful to kind of uh, acclimate to a new home when you for know sure. people here already. So, yeah, man, that's that's what we're doing. Absolutely. Okay. Very cool. Well, good stuff. Nice to have you uh, on the Eastern uh, time zone here. Makes recording certainly pretty easy. But I guess the next thing I want to kind of pick your brain about, I saw on your social media, I think it was maybe Instagram, you guys were jumping around in London and Ireland. And and I recently went to, to London with Lauren as part of her, one of her work trips. So was yes. that a long time in the making for you guys? And what did you guys end up doing while you were there? Oh, I love it. I can't wait to hear your stories of Oh man, London, Ireland, just absolutely gorgeous. But that was actually our um, postponed honeymoon. Talk really? about the wedding. So that was okay. actually our honeymoon plan trip. Yeah. So it was postponed because we got we got married and, and we knew that travel was just up in the air in 2020, 2021. So we just continuously postponed it. And then we were going to go November 22 and then got COVID for the very first time that oh, week no. we were going to go. So then I got okay. pushed back to February of this year. Um, so that's how that trip um came came to be so we did four days in london and three in ireland and man let me tell you and it was our first trip internationally 
together. It was just like, and, and so we we wanted to make a concerted effort to not be connected. So we didn't go out of our way to like get those you know, like eSIM cards where you could, you know, easily text and be like connected in that way if you weren't on Wi-Fi. And yeah. honestly, one of the best decisions ever because it just felt like it was Michelle and I versus the world. And you just like download the Google Maps and you just figure it out and you're just kind of in the moment the entire time. It was that's awesome. It was awesome, yeah. And out of the two, Ireland, I feel like, was like, we we would go back to Dublin before London, if that would make sense. We loved them 100%. both, but Dublin yeah. would. Yeah, and Dean, I thought about reaching out to you, but it was the honeymoon, so I'm sorry, man. I was <laughs> like, oh, what a better like tour guy to have. Yeah. And a Steelers fan in Ireland, yeah. but yeah, it was, it was so good. Um, and then we kind of went like by the cliffs, so it was like Howth, Ireland, if okay. you've heard of that, but you can just take public transit up there um, and you can do this like cliff walk. And it was just so gorgeous. And we were on one side where the mountains kind of just stopped the wind. And oh so it was just silent and beautiful. And all you could hear is just the waves against the rocks. And um, oh, man, can't wait to go back. It was it was so good. That's awesome to hear. And, you know, it's interesting you bring that up because Lauren and I think are very much the same way. When I went to Ireland last year with her and we were in Dublin, I was there for basically 72 hours. And it's amazing how much you can pack into that short amount of time. Uh, the uh-huh. number of pubs we hit, the number of you know sites we saw, just getting out, never in our hotel, just always out and about trying to do new things and, and experience just the culture, right? And I'm sure you got yep. to experience a lot of that both in London and in Ireland. And I feel like I'm curious where you and Michelle are at. Lauren and I are very much not big city people. Like we prefer kind of the quieter side of 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 vacation. So like when we were in England, her conference that we were going to was in a little city called Chester. And it was like this very quiet, small little city where uh, it wasn't very populated. You could get around easily. And then we went to London. Just the pace of it all was crazy. Um, and, and Dublin was similar to that like the pacing was you know fast a lot of people very busy but london was like another world in terms of how busy it was and you go to like a restaurant and a pub you'd be shoulder to shoulder you know if you went like after five o'clock and then there'd be like 50 to 60 people outside of the pub drinking out there it was crazy (laughs) yeah absolutely and and you know i respect that since like being in lincoln we kind of had that you know more quieter life you know definitely bigger than uh like Bowling Green, Ohio, right? Like where For we grew sure. up. So it was yeah. like that small step. And we've always had in this mind that we wanted to kind of want the feel and the connectedness of a big city. Okay. And so we've like always enjoyed going to New York and things like that. And so yeah. living in DC and where we're kind of at being... So so we're definitely able to get like the subway to go into the city. Mm-hmm. But where we're at is kind of like... Silver Spring, Maryland, which is just a suburb city that's a lot more manageable and everything. But we love that kind of middle ground where where we're at is quiet, but then we can easily be connected to the city. Like we feel like we might struggle if we were in like city center. You know yeah. what I mean? Oh, yeah. But being able to just like public transit it in and then kind of explore the monuments and the museums and all that kind of stuff mm. is is kind of that that happy medium where we're happy with and, and it's funny you bring up the london thing because when we went to london we were kind of more well versed in that big city feel you know that, okay so yeah. we were kind of like okay you know we get the, what this is like and it was funny to go to the subway if you guys use that in london oh, yeah yeah but it is so much more 
like well-oiled machine than the metro here in dc where don't get me wrong like the subway here isn't bad it's consistent but the fact that we were in london and didn't have to wait more than 30 seconds to hop on a new train we were like what is this and who are we it was like a crazy feeling to be able to do that so that was kind of fun good for you guys did you see any shows while you were there in london um No, we didn't, but we did have a crazy like experience. So we were coming back one night and we noticed, uh, where were we? Uh, what what's the big like museum in London? Like the art like the art museum in London? There's the British Museum. No, oh, that's it. Okay. Yeah. So we were walking by the British Museum and there was barricades on one side and oh. a whole bunch of just black cars and people waiting around to like see something. Yeah. And this is like nine thirty, ten o'clock, and we're like, what's going on? Yeah. Um and you know, at that time nothing was really happening, and then we went around and there was a red carpet out. And check this out. We were like, what is going on? So we looked it up. The BAFTA Film Awards was happening that weekend. Yeah. And so that was like the day before gala where all of, you know, the invitees and stuff were just hanging out and and doing their thing. Oh, Um, my gosh. So turns out we had a pretty open schedule the next day when the BAFTA Awards was happening. And so then we went to where they were coming in to the red carpet Oh, and we, no way. I kid you not, we, we got like 14, 15 celebrities um, just on camera, just watching them. We weren't like intruding or anything because there was a whole bunch of people around just yeah. watching this. But we we're like, this is insane to see the back end of what this stuff looks like. So there was like Eddie Redmayne that we got a picture of oh, and saw. Gosh. Um, gosh, Michelle wrote like a whole note of all of them that we saw. Um, uh, shoot, I can't remember his name, but... The, the guy that plays the whale, uh, who, who who's in the whale. Brennan Fraser? Yes, Brennan Fraser was there. Oh my gosh, I'm so jealous, dude. It was crazy. And the fact that we could just work that in, we were like, I mean, how, how do you not skip just seeing what this looks like? It was out of the world. That is like one of the best parts of like vacation for Lauren and I is the unplanned stuff. When you're yeah. just happening down the street and you you either roll into a restaurant that just catches your eye and you're like, whoa, this looks cool. Let's go check out here. And it typically is like the best food you eat the, the entire time you're on vacation or you're strolling by the British Museum and it's like, whoa, we have nothing planned tomorrow. Let's go see some celebrities. You know, <laughs> I know it was just out of this world, like out of everything that you guys did, what kind of like stood out and what, what did you guys enjoy? Yeah, so there are probably three things I would highlight uh, in London. The first is actually the British Museum. I mean, just so much history there to see across hundreds, if not thousands of years. And what they kind of describe, many people describe the British Museum as the biggest crime scene in history because so much of the stuff that's there is stolen. Right, and so yes. we, um, it doesn't open until 10, but we booked a private tour of the Egyptian um, sculpture part of the museum and we got in there at like around nine. And so we had a great tour guide for about an hour walking us through all kinds of interesting artifacts. And then we got to kind of explore to our leisure the rest of the museum, which was great. And um, when you send Brendan Fraser, it reminded me of The Mummy Returns because his son oh. in that movie spends like right. a lot of his time at the museum. And oh, that's awesome. <laughs> Very cool. But um, the next thing, which I think you guys both went to, was the Warner Brothers Harry Potter studio tour. Oh, my gosh. Man. How cool was that? That was crazy they did such a good job with that entire setup of that and the way they kind of took you through it but then you also like had the time you wanted to spend in certain areas which was exactly i I loved how like 
initially, just to kind of set it up for the folks that are listening, you go into this theater room and it's like you're in a movie theater getting ready to watch a movie and like Daniel Radcliffe and a number of the actors kind of set it up of like, hey, this is the tour you're about to go on, enjoy. And then when that like two or five minute video is over, the screen raises and you're introduced to the door to get into the great hall where they eat dinners and everything like that. And yeah. what was really neat for us on the based on the time that we went, it was the Halloween setup. So they had like the the pumpkin lanterns coming down from the ceiling and everything like that. And they had all kinds of candy and fun dishes spread out on the tables. Oh, uh, that's when you cool. Walk in. And then to your point, there are certain things where the tour guide is kind of like walking you through and holding your hand to a certain extent of like, hey, here's this thing. But after a certain point in the tour, like you could spend an hour there or you could spend four hours there. Like you can spend as yeah. much time as you want. And they have these like these people on point at certain places in the museum where you can go up to them and say, Hey, tell me more about this particular area, like Gryffindor common room. Tell me more about it. And they'll have like all kinds of fun facts of like, Oh, well, did you know that in this scene, the sorcerer's stone when it was being filmed and they'll tell you all kinds of like rich history behind the scenes stuff. So, I mean, if you're a Harry Potter fan, it like you have to go there, you know, and you're uh-huh. in, and you're in the London area. So completely agree. Very cool. Yeah. Oh, man. And it's so cool to also see like the tricks of the trade. Like, uh, d- do you remember seeing where uh, the actual prop for uh, the Leaky Cauldron, how they did the hallway in that? It's like maybe five, ten feet deep, but it was yeah. like trick of the light and the trick of the prop that it made it look like the hallway went all the way back. Exactly that. And then they were saying, too, like there were times where they'd set up like Hagrid's uh, Hagrid's hut. Uh, Dumbledore's study and the Gryffindor common room like back to back to back. So like they might film a scene in Hagrid's hut and then walk over to the Gryffindor common room and film a scene and then walk, you know, five paces (laughs) to the left and go film a scene in Dumbledore's study. It's just the secret of filmmaking, right? When you pull back the curtain a little bit, it's wild. Yep. Yep. Crazy. Or like walking into the Dursleys and they showed you how they did all of the envelopes and it was basically mirrored walls. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. (laughs) I was like, "Uh, this will never be the same ever again. Yeah. Well, and it was interesting. So I've maybe mentioned this on the podcast before, but like in high school, nearly every single night I'd put on either like old Family Guy DVDs, old Simpsons DVDs, or my my mainstay was The Sorcerer's Stone because like John Williams score, it's just a comfort kind of cozy movie. I always put it on before I went to bed and would like fall asleep to it. And so naturally when Laura and I got home, um, or when I got home, because Lauren still had some traveling to do for work at the back end of our trip. So I came home that first night, got into bed with Scoob and put on Sorcerer's Stone. And it was so interesting how you just pick up on different details, because now to your mm-hmm. point, you kind of have the, the tips of the trade, like the secrets of how they film certain scenes. So yeah, uh, very cool. Very cool experience. Yeah. Gosh, I feel like we could make a whole podcast just talking about that. We could. But- yeah. Yeah, Uh, there's so much to dissect, so much to dissect for sure. And then the last thing, I'll try and wrap this up and then we can kind of get into games played. So I I do have a crazy story. So Lauren and I, at the very end of our trip, we were flying out Sunday or we were flying out Monday. I was flying home. Lauren at the end of the trip had to, God bless her, she had to fly to Ireland for two days and then she had to fly to Spain for two days for more work. Just crazy stuff. My gosh. I don't know how she does it. So Sunday, we had booked a private tour of Wimbledon, um, the world-renowned tennis stage, right? Um, oh, and that's so, awesome. So we were walking up. It's kind of a, a dreary London morning, as it typically is. And we walk up, and security's there. They open the gate. And you know they're kind of just checking bags, checking purses, stuff like that. So Lauren goes up, and she, she's just thumbing through Lauren's purse. And she's like, well, what's this? 
And Lauren's like, oh, that's that's my pepper spray. And she's like, you can't have this. And Lauren's like, okay, no worries. You can throw it away and we can move on. And she's like, no, 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 no. This is a big deal. She's like, I need you to step aside, please. And stay over here. So oh my like, God. What's this about? So we were thinking like, just, just toss it and let's move on. Like no big deal. We don't <laughs> need it. Right. Lauren's right. flown through at least six different European airports. It's never been confiscated. So for us, it's like, and in the States, it's very normal for women to carry pepper spray, you know, right. and, and, and you can order that on Amazon here in the States. So we're yeah. like kind of scratching our head. What's going on here? So we step aside and we see her on her walkie talkie looking like really worried. She's phoning up some supervisor. I'm like what is going on? So I'm like, Lauren, let, let me Google this real quick. So I Google pepper spray in the UK. Nolan, it is the same offense if we walked into that place with a gun. Are you kidding me? Six months jail time if you carry and get caught with pepper spray. So Lauren at this point is like shaking in her boots, freaking out. She starts crying. She's like, Rusty, I have, oh my the, gosh. Back, I have the back end of my trip. Like I still have to go to work tomorrow. Like I don't, what am I going to do? And I said, let's not panic. Let's just stay calm. Let's not freak out because if we start freaking out, we're going to give the impression that maybe we actually ha- like had malicious plans with bringing this into the facility type of thing. Right. Right. So she comes back to us and she's like, hey, my supervisor's on his way. Just stay here. I'm like, all right, whatever. So supervisor comes and he's just kind of this taller, you know, English gentleman. And he's like, hey, let's let's step outside the facility. So we stepped out outside the gates and other people are kind of like naturally coming in. Like, what is going on over there with these people? Right. Lauren's, you, you know, were those people that everyone's gawking at. <laughs> exactly. So Lauren's all teary eyed. She's still kind of upset and trying to figure out like what the hell is going on here. And he's kind of walking you through. He's like, hey, I just, I just want you to understand that. It is a serious offense for you to be carrying pepper spray. I'm like, yeah, no, we get it. It's considered a firearm, but like we're from the States. We had no idea. Lauren's been through a tremendous amount of airports. It's never been confiscated. We didn't know any better. We're clearly not the most intimidating people. Like give us a break here. I don't have any face tattoos or anything like that. It's not like I was wearing some big trench coat or anything like that. Like we're we're pretty normal people. And he's like, yeah, I, I understand that. He's like, but I've called the police. We've notified the head of all security operations of Wimbledon. We're not going to detain you yet. Uh, we're waiting to hear back from the police. And so at this point, Lauren just like waterworks. Oh my she just gosh, starts, like, no. Freaking out. Like, are you've got to be kidding me? And I said, wait a second. Like, there's no way in the history of Wimbledon private tours, something like this has never happened before. You right. know what I mean? Like, there's right. no way we're the first person and there's going to be some new bullet point law at Wimbledon. Lauren Lewis comes into Wimbledon with pepper spray. Like, give us <laughs> right. a break here, right? And so he's like, He's like, I'm sorry. Like, we can't let you into the to the facility again. There's absolutely no way you can move forward with your tour today. Lauren starts crying more because all she wanted to do was get a hat for her dad because her dad loves tennis, loves Wimbledon. Oh man! And so I'm like, you're 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 kidding. We can't get in. Like, all we want to do, like a stone throw from the the gate, is the the gift shop that we want to get the hat at. He's like, no, absolutely not. So at this point, he's like listen, the police haven't gotten back to us yet. Just go on with your day. Don't worry about it. We've taken your information. The police will call you. And I'm thinking, I'm not going to flee the scene where you've taken my name. Like we're going to wait around till the cops show up and just, you know, check the boxes that we need to. So Laura and I are like, let's just go on a walk. Let's get some fresh air. Let's just walk away from the situation for a little bit. So we walk around the building, like around like Wimbledon and it's like this big gated facility naturally. And, you know, Lauren at a certain point just starts crying more. So we step aside and we sit down and I look to my left and I see this security camera like lasers in and moves to us. Like they were following us around the entire facility. No. 
And I was like, Lauren, that camera literally just moved to us. I said, let's just walk to the front, call an Uber and move on with our day. And she's like, all right. So we get to the front of the facility and I'm like, you know what, Lauren, let me go talk to security one more time to see if they've heard back from the police. And as soon as I walk in, I see this other gentleman walking towards me and he walks up to me. And he's like, are you the one with the pepper spray? And I was like, well, my wife was, she's just outside the building here. And he said, okay, well, I'm the head of all security operations of Wimbledon. And he introduced me with his name. I don't remember what his name was. And I was like, oh, yeah. okay. He's like, let's go talk to your wife. So we go out and he's like talking to us. He's like, I just want you to know I've de-escalated the entire situation. I've called the police and I've called off the investigation. We've scrapped your name. I want you to move forward with your tour. I heard you have to fly to Ireland tomorrow for work. And I don't want you to have to have a, you know, a bad memory at the very tail end of your trip. So enjoy the right. rest of your tour. Have a great rest of your day. You know, whatever. Happy days. My, and I was like, I mean, oh my like, gosh. Like, fuck yeah to that guy. Like, thank yeah. you. But I'm so sorry you guys had to live through that. That is like traumatizingly crazy. Yeah, dude, it was freaking wild. And I'm thinking like, there were people doing drugs on the street in London. Police were walking right by them. It's like, we have pepper spray. And you're yeah. about to alert like the head of freaking London police, you know, like chill. Right. Like, let's just move on with our day here. Um, That's... Crazy. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry you guys had to live through that. That's just nuts. I mean, so good to to be able to like have a such a good ending out of all of that. Yeah. And like, you know, comes down to just a story like that on a podcast that it's like crazy to talk about. It's like, but yeah. gosh, I can't even imagine. Yeah. Like dude. you're hundred percent right. Out of like the amount of people that probably come and go out of that and come and go out of London, like Come on. You're yeah. not hearing headlines of Americans coming in with pepper spray and like going off on random people all the yeah. time. Like what would we do? It's not like like any of the professional tennis players were there. It's not like matches were going on. So mm-hmm. it's just people on a private tour. Like what what kind of mayhem are we going to spread here? You know, yeah, like. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah. But but yeah, I mean, I get it. I get it. And so thankfully we went on with the tour. We had a great time. Um, yeah. But it, it's it's impossible to look back on the London trip now and not point to that memory you know what i mean yeah 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 that's fair that's fair oh my god yeah yeah i get it you know i mean there's always uh you know major valid reasons why you know those laws are there and and all of that so 100 percent, my friends but my goodness let's move on from pepper spray let's talk about some freaking video games how does that sound let's do it all right so before we even get into starfield I just have to take a second and I I have a list of kind of like the highest rated games of the year. I feel like this is like if you look back at 2023 come December 31st, you're just going to have the Toy Story meme just plastered all over it. When like Buzz Lightyear enters the scene and he drops Woody and he's like, I don't want to play with you anymore. I mean, you would have forgotten that earlier this year, like Dead Space, the remake came out in January. Metroid Prime Remaster came out in February. Freaking Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom came out in May. A sequel to Jedi Fallen Order. Freaking Hogwarts Legacy came out earlier yep. this year. In the summer, you have Final Fantasy 16, Diablo 4, Street Fighter 6. I mean, and then right around the corner, then you have Starfield. You have Alan Wake 2 coming soon. Mario RPG remake. A brand new 2D Mario Brothers game. I mean, dude, it is yep. insane. So I'm curious for you. How have you kept up or have you just been more selective with new releases and said like, man, I, I got to catch my breath and just play what I have time for? Yeah. Yeah. I, honestly, probably um, 
probably the latter there was is 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 being a little bit more selective um and honestly like life has been busy up through you know that late spring up through summer into early fall with like weddings and going back and forth to ohio because now we're kind of in a place that we can actually travel back to ohio often more easily so it's been harder to keep up on and like pick up those games that come out regularly um and, and, and a part of it is also some of those uh, don't fit into the realm and genre of games that I'm like circling on a calendar like immediately. You know For what sure. I mean? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, so like the big one out of oh. <laughs> uh, rookie podcast mistake is it's been a while and I just smacked my mic right in the face. It's all good. <laughs> but, no worries. You know, like well, the big ones was Hogwarts Legacy at the time. So yeah. that kind of bridged that major gap up through um the summer and then kind of just dabbling in between. Um, so I've picked up some small games th- that came out years ago. So I, I beat like uh, inside, you know, that was oh, on game yeah. pass. I was like, Hey, this is a game that I feel like would just fit that, that mold for this time being. And then I, uh, Firewatch, if you ever played Firewatch, I that is just like, I have it a short, amazingly told right story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, so good. So good. Would absolutely recommend it because, you know, it's almost kind of like horror-esque, but a lot of like thriller suspense where you have to like fill in some gaps potentially. Um, so, yeah, all, all of that. And then obviously Starfield hit. Um, but I mean, honestly, like big RPG guy, especially Western RPG guy here. And it's yeah. like we've been eating good this year. On oh, that. my gosh. Yeah, dude, it's it's crazy. So uh, I I feel the same way. I mean, even just from a budget side of things, like now that games are seventy dollars, if it's not Game Pass mm-hmm. Day One, like you're better off just waiting a couple months. You know, you'll get yeah. it on get it on GameFly for thirty bucks, or maybe get it next year because again, there's just too much to keep up with. You got to be selective. We can't always just be playing games all the time. But I want to get into Starfield. Okay, I want to I want to just kick things off, and then we can kind of talk through some of the other games that we've been playing over the past several months, but let's do it before we even get into any kind of the specific questions, walk me through the reasoning behind your hype. You kind of alluded to it at the top of the show. Like why was this game one of your most anticipated games ever? And where are you at with like, has it met your expectations? Has it exceeded them? Like give us the, the Nolan story here when it comes to Starfield. I love it. And thank you, man, for kind of given me the platform to talk about it because I'm sure Michelle is completely tired of sickening me <laughs> about like, oh my gosh, shipbuilding is so fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but honestly, what really got me so excited about this is that Bethesda games for me just hit all the time. Like mm-hmm. their formula is is it just fits well with what I enjoy doing in a game. Um, but we can get some more into more specifics of how that formula I feel like after loving Fallout and Skyrim so much, yeah. some of that, some of those big major cracks in the formula definitely show for me with Starfield. But in general, what got me so hype is that I just love sci-fi atmospheres, sci-fi music, whether it comes to movies and video games, and just being able to like dive into something well especially with starfield something that feels like it is completely possible that this stuff could happen yeah and like living that in that kind of way um was something i was so excited about where it was like crafting these stories of you know what i I could see the world looking like this potentially and that's nuts yeah um so i i think that and then just the aesthetic of it um got me so excited because 
it is something brand new from Bethesda. It's not like a platform. You know what I mean? 100%. And yeah. something like that where, it, you know, it's not a, it's not, it's like what I would imagine if I was old enough to see Mass Effect come out for the first time. It's like that kind of feeling. Yeah. Where Mass Effect just started. And it's like, this is a new world of story and sci-fi and that was the kind of excitement and where it came from for okay sure. very cool well getting before we get into kind of like how has it met your expectations i'm curious you kind of hinted at living out those stories and everything like that so for you when you created your characters you have this vision of like oh i'm gonna kind of like role play D style like i'm gonna create this guy he's gonna have this rich backstory this is where he's going or did you kind of just like roll the dice a little bit and say hey, i'm just gonna roll and, and play through the main story and move on yeah, uh, a little bit of both. So I definitely had a framework, but not necessarily like a tailored backstory. It was okay. like, okay, I'm always usually the the first dialogue option guy in, in Bethesda games where it's like the good guy, you know? Yeah. And so this time I purposely was like, okay, I'm going to go down a couple levels of dialogue and see what's <laughs> going on and go that route. Yeah. So it was kind of that route of, yeah, I'll do this as long as you pay me the entire time. So it was like that that lawful neutral kind of person yep. that was like i just hey i'm just a person trying to get ahead in my life and i'm here to help you and if you want to pay me i'll do it yeah sure okay so that's the kind of thing and so with that i built like a background of a space scoundrel that would just like make sense mm-hmm. um and so yeah that's that's kind of how i've been role playing it and, and that's been um it's been good so far, especially when it comes to certain factions of how that would play yeah. like let's say for the free star rangers who are you know, just like the the space cowboys, if you would, and the the law enforcement for that kind of uh, settled systems area. And so it was interesting to see that play out because my initial thing was, yeah, like, does this gig pay well? I'll do it if it pays well. And they're like, no, you don't enjoy the free star ranges to make money. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, well, I guess, uh, I guess I'll still do it. Well, it's so funny because they said that. Then after every mission, you get paid eleven thousand credits. I'm like, yeah. what the fuck? Yeah, this is not that bad. <laughs> not too bad. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, very. In- so I guess on that subject, then, did you, when you started the game, did you mainline story and then move on from there, or have you kind of just been dipping your toes in the story while doing a lot of extracurricular stuff? Right. Yeah. Um, when when it comes to a lot of different playstyles, I've heard on like Xcast and and stuff like that, a lot of people shied away. Well, it was either like they mainlined the main story to see what's up, or they went off the beaten path. And yep. so I did a little bit of both, where I was like, okay, let me see how this inner like the main story interplays with the world that we're in. Um, and I also just love the vibe of Constellation with their like spacesuits and stuff. Oh, it's yeah. like what NASA would be if NASA ceased to exist and then, you know, would would like people would carry that on. So uh, I think for me that enriched my experience a little bit because Constellation is the one that kind of opens your mind in the game of like there is still so much unknown, even though we've traveled so far in the galaxy. Yeah. So it's like, OK, this this kind of makes you question certain things and then in between that you do your factions and then your tiny little quests that come up that'll fill the world that you have questions about um, in the meantime where it's like the main story does really well to kind of bring you to different settled systems that have a different culture like free star versus united colonies and then when you're there it's like okay well here's free star rangers i want to know more about what this is like here in the life that these people are living Um, and it's like the perfect way to kind of 
to play that um, for me, and I, I really enjoyed it. And, and would recommend if you're new to Starfield and, and do it. I think that's the way to do it for sure. Yeah, I would tend to agree. I, I think this game does such a, a great job of if you do kind of dip your toes into a main story quest every now and again, it's so organically as you're going to your next main quest, you know, someone might radio in and say, hey, hey, are you there? And you're like, yeah, what's going on? And it's like, hey, I'm out on this like other planet and I need some help. I have some guys that are kind of like attacking my my homestead. Would you mind kind of flying over here and help me out? And it's like, I guess I could pause the main story and go help these guys out real quick. And right. then like 15 yeah. hours later, you were doing all kinds of other things, but it never feels like this distraction. It feels like this incentive to like go explore, go do this thing, be handsomely rewarded with credits or new equipment or whatever. And then maybe, you know, go back to the main story later on. I feel like mm-hmm. the way they organically do that and introduce these new things, it seems so ambitious when they kind of teased and marketed it. And I thought, there's no way this is actually going to work as well as they're they're marketing it as. But to my po- to my to this point, and and I have to be I guess be honest, I've only played for about 20 hours to this point, so I'm still right. just kind of like you know scratching the surface of what Starfield has to offer. But even to those 20 hours that I've played, I felt like I was encouraged to continue with main quests, but then also incentivized to go and do other things. And I think when you couple those two together, it just makes for such a rich experience. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And 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 you know, we'll get into some nitty-gritty on like why and I totally understand how this game is polarizing on like how it might have hooked you. Um but the game itself is so grandiose and true to what I feel like life would be of like traveling a galaxy outside of like no man's sky. Right. Like I feel like they, they encompass what it would like to travel in a galaxy, but just like make it a little bit shorter. Whereas Starfield is like, this is how it would be to travel a galaxy true to size. Yeah. And it's like, so instead of like a one map and then you would just explore it that way, I feel like the way they filled it with these small activities and so many branches that'll distract you along the way these storylines mm-hmm. is like how they're getting you to explore with it not being a full map like sky moon would be or fallout yeah um and you know personally that fit for me but i could totally see how some people it feels like oh this is just a fast travel simulator yeah and it's and, like you know what and there, i guess I, you know i i respect that and i get that for sure and there is some of that but i don't think it would be conducive to like in skyrim like jeremy soul composed such a wonderful score that is so immersive that there were times where i literally walked from one end of the map to the other even though i could fast travel because you see so much along the way you see this cave over here that you want to go explore you see a new city or whatever In Starfield, I personally wouldn't have the patience to not fast travel and literally fly my ass all over the galaxy. You know what I mean? Like, there's a certain element of, you know, I want to go explore. But at the same time, like, I think they strike a pretty good balance of still being able to do that. But I mean, it would take forever to fly your ship all over the galaxy like that. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Yeah. It, it's one of those things that it's like really fun to to say out loud. It's like it's like if you're playing a NASCAR game. Right. And then you choose to actually drive 300 laps. It's yeah. like, no, you're going to do like the shortened version, because if you start that, you're going to get bored probably very quickly. Exactly. So it's, I feel like it's very much something like that where it's, it's like fun to say of like, oh, well, it would be cool if you could do this. But I feel like that's a lot on the developers and that's a lot 
to put on somebody who would actually do that. But, you know, there's, I'm sure there's somebody in this world that would just like stream for six hours to fly to Neptune or something. Well, but, you know, and I think Alonic Pierce, like she flew to like the center of some galaxy like forever. And it took yeah. her like, I think, dozens of hours over the course of several streams or something like that. And right. that's great for people that have the spare time to do those types of things. But for me, mm-hmm. I just, I, again, I wouldn't have the patience and it wouldn't be really fulfilling from a game playing perspective. I don't think either to your point, I think mm-hmm. it's, it's great in theory to talk about, but in practice, I don't think it would actually be very entertaining. Right. Right. And you know, on that note, I feel like they've done so well to make the world feel true to size. Like some, like when, when you first go to space, and immediately my favorite planet Saturn. So I said, fuck, I'm flying to Saturn because I want to <laughs> see what this looks like. And so, you know, you fly there and immediately when you gra- like come out of the grav drive, it's just this huge planet. And it's like you feel so small in that space and you can fly around and the planet doesn't change size because it's so big. And then you can just like get off of the pilot seat and you just look through the cockpit windows and it's like, I am in space right now. Yeah. Like, let me go mod my spacesuit. Like that, you know, I think that's what I love about Starfield and sci-fi in general is how in those worlds, they can just make things feel like you're a tiny little thing, tiny little speck in this. Like, Jumping off of Starfield real quickly for the same kind of experience yeah. is in Mass Effect 3 when you go and um, help out the Turians on their home world and you just see the Reapers in the distance larger than life. Like that's the same kind of feeling like, oh my God, like I am nothing compared to what this world and how big this is. It's crazy. For sure. I completely agree. And just on that kind of subject of just being immersed and completely caught up in the world you and I have a mutual love of music and games. And of course, Jeremy soul didn't compose the soundtrack to Starfield. You probably know the name offhand. I do not, but like, holy hell, really, really good. And I think perfectly yes. compliments being in space and just kind of that ambient feeling of like, I'm so small. This is all so big. And I just yep. feel swallowed up in it all. You know what I mean? Yep. The composer is Enon Zur. And so okay. he's the same one that, um, did he did like the fallout games and stuff like that okay so bethesda has worked with him quite a bit yeah and oh my gosh when they released that official soundtrack i was like take my money this needs to be on vinyl right now and i was yeah. like i cannot wait because I, I mean they're missing out on a huge market i'm sure they're probably going to press that but yeah um yeah and, and and if you got the um special edition to play early it actually comes with like a separate app that is like an art book and soundtrack all in one and so you can just peruse the out the art book and um art concepts and the music will just play in the background so you're like listening to the soundtrack while you're looking and seeing concept art uh and they break it up such as like technology and worlds and fauna and then followers and stuff so it's it's gorgeous and very fun to kind of get it more immersed in that way too that's amazing. Very, very mm-hmm. cool. And I mean, they've pressed Skyrim so many different times. Uh, right. A number of different companies have. So I have to imagine that uh, they'll be pressing the the uh, the Starfield soundtrack to vinyl at some point. And if I don't figure out first, I you know I will alert you. And likewise, you'll have to alert <laughs> me because I have to order that for sure. Uh, one thing, you know, kind of talking about some nitpicky things. I'm curious where you're at with this. And you know, you've mentioned the word hook and it kind of grabbing you in initially. Just looking at the history of Bethesda games, you look at Oblivion, that classic moment where you're in the jail cell and you kind of go through the sewers and then you 
open up the door and you're introduced to this beautiful, colorful world. Skyrim's kind of been memed to death at this point with, you know, it's moment where you're about to get your head lopped off. The dragon comes in, you do the tutorial mission, and then you're kind of left your own devices and you can explore the open world. I haven't put a tremendous amount of time in the Fallout game, so I'm unlike you in that sense. But even those games, I've played Fallout 3 and 4 the first 10 hours or so, and those have some pretty memorable, incredible openings, right? And then Starfield... One of the most ambitious space RPGs ever created at this point. I'm thinking, oh man, they're going to start out with some epic space battle like Millennium Falcon with versus a bunch of TIE fighters type of deal. Or I'm going to be like landing on this deserted planet and explore it for the first time. And then lo and behold, someone hands me a little ray gun and I'm a miner <laughs> and I go mine rocks to start out the game. Right. And I'm like, what are we doing here? What is this? Open what world, you but of- you're in a mine. Yeah. What did you think about that opening? Um, kind of unceremonious, but I'm curious where you were at with it. Yeah. You know what? I think I'm totally with you. Um, and, you know, getting into the game, you're a little like suspending belief and you're like, okay, what's going to happen? And then after that, all you are like, you get out of the mine and then you're in a hab that's closed off. Like you're not even seeing the sky yet. And you're like, okay, what's going on? And then you go out and then, you know, the whole intro plays out where you, where you fight some, some space pirates. And then their quote unquote big opening is when you just take the ship up to space. But I feel like I totally understand and I am with you where I feel like they missed the mark on that that trademark Bethesda open world opening where it's like I feel like you could have done this in so many different ways like what what's the difference of you just like coming out of a cave and like let's say you're on an asteroid and then you can see yeah. a large gas giant right when you walk outside yeah. you know like you could have told that same kind of story in something like that where you had that immediately this is a large world for sure. And and I get it too to kind of like set up the narrative. Like we won't go too in the details of the story, but like initially you're kind of co- co- collecting these secret artifacts, right? And Constellation mm-hmm. wants to kind of study these things and collect more of them to understand what they're all about. And that kind of sets off the rest of the story. So, but I feel like you could still set up that plot device by landing on a deserted planet or do a space battle in an effort to get to a planet to mine that rock. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, right. But it it is what it is. But I think it it probably is a sour point for a lot of people. And with all of the the kind of polarizing opinions surrounding it, I think Bethesda doesn't do themselves any any uh, favors with that kind of an opening. It's like my, my yeah. probably my biggest nitpick to this point. Um, but yeah, interesting nonetheless. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. And you know, if if we wanted to kind of. Uh, drum up some potential ideas of of what could happen or even like mods in the future that I feel like would add to the kind of sci-fi of this. Um, Like something I feel like they could have done is like, let's say you're on a space station out like in space and then something happens like you know you know the movies um uh like interstellar and then um gravity and stuff like that oh yeah it's like that moment where you feel like you've lost control Like, let's say you're on the space station, something happens and you're like thrown, but you're like tethered to it, but you're like dangling out there in space. Like, you know, that's like something that really hooks you, you know? It's like, oh no, this is bad. Yeah. Well, and especially for someone like myself on the outside looking in, just very candidly, when they did like the very big deep dive look into Starfield back in the summer, 
a lot of those mechanics I was worried about, like just mining rocks for materials and stuff like that. Like a lot of that was, I think some of the gameplay features in No Man's Sky and that just never really interested me. I was like, I just want to explore planets. I want to understand what's going on in the main story type of thing. And so for them to kind of start the game with that mechanic, I'm like, oh no, wait a second. Maybe this is like a really pivotal gameplay mechanic and I'm going to be doing this a lot more than I want to. But thankfully, I feel like that really lets up. And after that opening, that you don't really do it that often, you know what I mean? Unless you want to. Right. And I think yeah. maybe just getting deep, like a little bit into that, like base building, customizing your ship. Like I'm still traumatized and have PTSD from the gummy ship uh, building mechanic in Kingdom Hearts 1. So I was like, I don't want to touch that with a 10,000 foot pole. But Starfield never really forces you to do a lot of those things. They're there. And I, I've, from what I've, I've, I've read about and I've seen other people do, like they're well-oiled machines. It's, it, they're, they're really well done. But it never really forces your hand and forces you to do those things unless you want to, which I I really respect. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I think that's played to their big strengths because, you know, I'm not going to lie. I love doing that building and stuff in Bethesda games. Um, And so I was like eager to jump in. So I hit a 100,000 credits. I'm like, all right, I'm building a ship. Let's see what this looks like. And it was like, you know, it's very expensive. And I'm not going to lie. I got in there and I was very overwhelmed to the point where I was like, I don't think I could do this right now because I was in the middle of quests and things like that. Um, But, you know, to your point, it's like, okay to feel overwhelmed. Like I'm not ready for this because you have so much more to kind of dive into. But then they also give you the opportunity that if that's not for you, you can be like, Hey, that ship looks cool. I'm going to go board it and I'm going to kill everyone on board. And I'm yeah. going to take that ship. Like, you know, it, there's, there's so many different ways to explore what ships are like in Starfield that I love. That's amazing. Like that is so freaking cool because to give you that player freedom, I mean, that is so signature Bethesda. And again, going back to my point of like, I just don't have the time or patience to build a ship. I'm glad that people, I'm sure there's tons of videos on YouTube of people building, recreating the Millennium Falcon and, you know, the, 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 the ship in Mass Effect and all these different things. Otherwise, I'm going to be flying through space and say, hey, I want that one. I'm going to go kill everyone and steal it. You know uh-huh. what I mean? So cool. Uh-huh. It is. It is so cool to kind of do that and then uh you know the 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 nonsense that could happen when you board a ship like if you shoot out their gravity well and stuff it's like there's zero g on this ship that you're trying to like kill everyone on and then um and then when like ships land on a planet that you're exploring you're like okay let me go see what they're up to yeah steal their ship you know just things like that um well and, and there was this one moment too where i was flying through space i was trying to get to my next destination And I can't remember if someone on the intercom said something to me or if my ship started moving or it like immediately just pulled me out of the cockpit. But I remember for some reason I left my cockpit and was like, something's wrong. And I started like walking through my ship and this giant ass alien creature has some had somehow gotten onto my ship and I had to kill it. And it was it was one of those moments of like, one, how the fuck did this happen? And then two, (laughs) like how scary but also kind of awesome you know what i mean that something like kind of just organically happened like that it felt like i was like literally in alien the movie you know that's nuts i have never heard a story like that yet which i think is part of the charm of this game and oh man i don't want to like steer us into a new topic of conversation within starfield but like that if it's okay yeah uh, that's like a crazy awesome story but something 
Well, you know, I, I guess I'm going to flat out say that this absolutely met and exceeded my expectations. Awesome. And like, yeah, yeah. I, if if you haven't already like figured that out, yeah. By now. So uh, yeah, absolutely, so good. But something that I feel like this game a shortcoming, but also something that really helped me love it even more was there was a group of two other guys that we picked it up and got the early access. Yeah. We did nothing all weekend. It like panned out so well that Michelle was at a bachelorette party and it was, what was it, Labor Day weekend or whatever? So we had that extra day or whatever that is in September. Um, And so she was gone that long weekend. So it was just me, my two friends, and us playing Starfield. And the negative here is the lack of tutorialization when it comes to some of the things that you can do, how to yeah. navigate menus. You know, it you know it took forever for me to realize that you can hit A where your waypoint is in space and like travel to that destination. Oh my, like forever. I thought you had to go back into the map yeah. and back into yeah, like that's uh it, it was it was frustratingly mind numbing until you figure out how to navigate that. But where I'm going with this is that without that And with the story that you just said, this game, I feel like has a level of community in a way that we just hopped on group chats and we're saying, oh, have you figured this out? Oh, if you do this and this, oh, like you can do it this way, or this is how I did it. And this is the outcome. Like it brought us together with the different experiences, but also helping each other out with what we learned that I think just enhanced that experience for all of us when we first jumped in. And that's amazing. And and I love that you said that because that that is something that I feel like is so missing nowadays. And, you know, a lot of people point to the PlayStation first party games like Horizon Forbidden West and The Last of Us or God of War Ragnarok and just how often the side character companion piece that you have to the main protagonist is just constantly telling you like, hey, this is how you solve this puzzle. And then beyond that, like if you haven't solved it yet, there's this thing over here that you need to initiate before you can do that. And it's like, uh-huh. oh, well, I've been this. I've been in this situation for less than five seconds, so I, I would have appreciated if you didn't just tell me the answer to that puzzle. Whereas it's fun in games to not know always know the answer. You know, back in the day, I'm sure you were someone who was on Game Facts or Game Winners or whatever, yeah. and printing out cheats, researching how to figure out like how to get to the next level, beat that boss. And Starfield has kind of forced players to come together and say, "Hey, have you discovered that how to do this yet? How do you navigate to that planet?" Or like me and my story of like this random alien landed on my ship type of thing. You yeah. know, it really brings people together in a way that I think a lot of games have gotten away from, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, cheat CC. I just remember going to cheat back in the day. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. Um, gosh. So. Well, so I guess to take us maybe in a little bit of a different direction, we've talked a lot about kind of just this high level stuff. I'm curious where you're at with this because I'm not the biggest fan of Fallout and okay. having played Starfield a little bit more now, I want to go back to Fallout 4 at some point or there was a big leak recently that Fallout 3 remake remaster might be coming. So I'm curious if that's actually going to come to fruition, but yeah. sticking on Starfield and its gunplay, that was something that I was going to be really curious of. How is that going to work? Because that'll probably be make or break for me. And uh-huh. I was planning to be kind of this like stealth ninja wandering the galaxy and just knifing people. But I have freaking loved just taking a shotgun in and just like Wolfenstein dooming it and just blowing people up when I land yes. like land on ships and stuff. So how do you feel about the gunplay? And for you, how does that compare to other Bethesda games, particularly the Fallout games? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. This is a great question. I appreciate it. It's like I I am in love with the way gunplay feels in 
Starfield. You know, you you take the AI out of it because the AI is fucking dumb. You know, I mean, yeah. that is what it is. To be expected. I, <laughs> I've never felt more like, I, I, I don't know the best word, like solid when, when it comes like impact of gunplay in Starfield. Yeah. Does that make sense? It's a good like, way to describe like in, it. Yeah. In, in Fallout, it just feels like there was no oomph behind the trigger pull. But this with the sound and the way guns just feel a little bit heavier, you know, when you hit enemies and stuff like that, it just feels good. I think yeah. they've just done a good job in that. Yeah, no, I, I would tend to agree. I mean, that's because there's been all, so many other games as we'll get into here shortly. I've kind of tabled Starfield, but one of the things that kind of lingers in the back of my mind is like, I just want to get back in there and just shoot a bunch of stuff up, right? Because like that has really kind of compelled me to keep going and keep pushing because the moment to moment gameplay is just so fun. Uh-huh. Yeah, absolutely. And and so I love the route that you took and I'm excited to hear, you know, when you dive more into it with certain missions what that looks like being the stealthy with like the knifey go-go and seeing what's yeah. up cuz um I actually started out I basically do a full ballistics build um cuz I just feel like the ballistic weapons feel really good in this game. Um but I, I've gone kind of the silencer route, but not necessarily stealthy all the time. Okay. So I'll like do the first stealth kills until everyone knows that people are dying. And then I just go in there. But it feels so good to have like the silenced rifle and you're like pop, pop, pop around a corner. And you're just like clearing rooms like it feels like a SWAT team member or something like that. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah it's very cool. Very awesome. And then the other thing, too, I mean, it goes without saying in Bethesda games, like the addiction is still there when you walk into a room and there's just a gazillion things to collect and just like mm-hmm. opening crates, opening boxes, collecting things on the ground. And the only caveat to that is just how quickly you can become over encumbered, um, yeah. which is something to obviously manage. You always have to do that in, in these types of games. But I still feel like it's so dang addicting landing on a ship and just seeing like the world is your oyster and just like taking all like it's just a treasure trove of just stuff to pick up and collect you know what i mean yeah right right yeah i love it and it's like uh in the back of your mind while i was watching pete door play starfield when it first came out and, and loving, yeah. like seeing him enjoy it was was very cool uh but he was like collecting all of the succulents and the plants and things and i was like "Ooh, okay that's really cool and so then i've started just collecting those doohickeys and 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 you know knickknack things in the world like today i just came across it was a uh space shuttle model like the united states States, oh. space shuttle like discovery and stuff back yeah in so it was like oh yeah so i'll take that put it in my cargo hold for when i build my base and stuff and then put it on my desk it's like oh that that's kind so of cool thing. Yeah, yeah it's i mean you know it, it weighs 0.3 mass that adds up over time but it's like i want that though yes yeah, <laughs> yeah. well i mean it's like in skyrim like a lot of people would like pick up every book they ever saw you know and have right. like a collection like a library when they end up buying a house you know and uh-huh. you can do i think a similar thing in starfield so out of curiosity then have you done much of the base building i i have not done the base building yet i've dabbled okay. more in like space ship design um and so you know the way i've kind of gone about playing it is learning a little bit more about new game plus and and stuff like that so i have new game plus once in the game and so really so you've already first you've mainlined the story and you've gone through it again through new game plus Yes, yes. So, you know, there, there's a lot of quality of life, certain things with New Game Plus that makes it, you know, easier and then also uh, some set, setbacks in, in that way. But I have New Game Plus and I didn't want to spend so much time base building before I did that because I know all of that would like be for naught in a way. Okay. Um, and so since I've New Game Plus, I've 
done portions of the factions, maybe made some different decisions, seeing what's what's going on there, and it feels really good. And now I'm back to a point that I feel like I can base build. So I'm doing my first new game plus. It's like, okay, this is going to be the core of a lot of the time I spend in this, just like a Bethesda game before I put it down and come back six months later and then yeah. maybe I'll new game plus start again. So instead of like starting a whole brand new game, I'll new game plus and that'll be my like, okay, I'm back in Starfield. Let's see what this is all about. Okay. So I'm curious because Greg Miller from kind of funny games, he has surprisingly, at least to me, fallen in love with Starfield. And mm-hmm. one of the things that he suggested on their review was mainlining the story getting new game plus to your point there's some quality of life stuff without getting to spoilers can you highlight what some of those new game plus features are yeah absolutely um so there are some new dialogue options okay for for that um and then also uh let me see here i'm trying not to like bring up anything that could could spoil anything so you know there's a lot of things You'll like bring all of your perks and everything with you, okay. so you don't start from complete scratch from there, which is nice. Um, and then there's also the quality of life that once you do that, you get the perks of what New Game Plus gives you outside of you know bringing everything that you used to have over uh, with like money and stuff like that. But then you can skip, quote unquote, skip the mainline story again, so you like fast track it, so you oh. can. Yeah, yeah. So then that way, maybe you can focus more on certain aspects of the game that you wanted that you didn't do last time. Interesting. Um, instead of like going through that six-hour main story that could be a drag a second time around. Okay, mm-hmm. that makes sense. Awesome. Well, I guess I'm curious. Without going to spoilers, this is like the last kind of big question I have for you. What were your thoughts on the overall story, and, and how does it compare to something like a Fallout or a Skyrim? Were you were you pleased with it? Did it kind of grip you all the way through? Were there highs and lows? What did you feel about the story overall? Yeah, um, I you know I thought it was a, a pretty solid story. Um, I think much like Bethesda games, I think the true memories and things that you talked about with aliens on your ship and stuff, all of that and the factions are, are, are going to outweigh the main storyline. Like, got it. Yeah. I thought the factions, all of that together, just held a lot more. Uh, meat and lore and world building and and just like uh, getting you into what the Starfield system and, and what it looks like is. I think they that that's where the love of the game comes from is is there. I don't think the main story is bad by any means. Yeah. Um, but let me just say, let me just say, I wasn't disappointed, but I was just like, this has been done. Yeah. In you other mediums wow, too many times. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that makes sense because I mean, you look at something like even the Skyrim story, it's nothing to write home about necessarily. It's good, you know, yeah. but it's not like on par with like a Lord of the Rings medieval, you know, type of story. And beyond that, like I remember listening to an old All Gen Gamers episode with with Pete Dorr, Happy Console Gamer, Game Thirty One, and that crew. And I remember Johnny, he beeline the story beat it in 10 hours and his quote was that's when the real game begins you know what i mean right. and i feel like right. starfield is probably similar where that's when the real game begins because even in skyrim like you want to do the thieves guild and the dark brotherhood like that's where like the rich gameplay and to your point like the lore and the story and all of those things i think are m- most memorable compared to the main story but 
Okay. Right. right. Interesting. Well, beyond that, is there anything else that you want to want to cover? We did. We haven't covered this point from a Starfield side of things that you really want to highlight. Yeah. Oh gosh. I mean, I I love it. I mean, I think it looks the most polished, plays the most polished Bethesda game ever. And honestly, I just want to give a big kudos to Bethesda and all the devs because mm-hmm. the big thing is, is like it's a Bethesda game through and through. But I just feel like they were so confident and comfortable to put together something that this is like we want to put all of what Bethesda is into this. Yeah, which I think is so good for them outside of the platforms of Elder Scrolls and Fallout. Yeah. And I think that's why this is also something so special. Polarizing, I get it, you know, depending on you know what what hits and what doesn't hit for you, but you have to give them credit cuz I think for what they wanted to do, they pulled off. And for the you know for for you know if you have the time and and the wants to kind of get outside maybe that like comfort zone and and stuff like that to fully just put in what you want, Starfield will give back. Mm-hmm. And I think Todd Howard said that in an interview one time, and I think that's 100% true. But just like huge, huge kudos to them um, for for doing that. And I'm pumped to just like have this on the shelf to come back to years to come for sure. Yeah, no, and I agree a thousand percent. And I'm glad you brought that up because we haven't even to this point brought up like how polished was it at launch? And I think we can say undoubtedly, this is the most polished Bethesda game that's ever launched day one. Mm-hmm. You know, certainly the normal Bethesda bugs, but Nothing to my knowledge and from what I've played game breaking in any sense of the word. And I think it is really special that Bethesda had this passion project because it was very it would be have been very easy for them to freaking print another copy of Skyrim with some new updates or remake Oblivion or remake Fallout 3 or go Fallout 5 Elder Scrolls 6 direction with their next mainline game and Elder Scrolls 6 looking forward to that certainly. But I'm glad that Starfield came to fruition, very ambitious project. And I feel like for the most part, they've delivered on their promises and I cannot wait to get back into that world. I mean, this conversation has definitely got me excited. I basically cleared November after I beat uh, Spider-Man 2 here at the end of October. I think Starfield, Assassin's Creed Mirage is how I'm going to balance my November. And I'm Mm -hmm. definitely looking forward to jumping back in that world, playing the main story and exploring everything else it has to offer. Yeah, that's fair. And I'm so excited, you know, to hear more about your thoughts and and you getting into it. And it's like, gosh, I will I will jump on a mic with you again, whether it's Starfield or not, just to catch up. But like, you know, excited to hear what you think and and also excited to hear and see how what what Bethesda has done with Starfield, how that's going to look for their future games. Mm, There's a lot about Starfield that just rocks. And it's like this. I could see this being incorporated in other games and how that could be so good. Like New Game Plus, for example, it could be improved. You know, I have some ideas on how that can be improved. Uh, and then, but I just think that is a way to just enhance in a different way the future games rather than just starting a new game, which is very cool. And, you know, if, if I can just go on a soapbox of like how, you know what, Todd Howard, please listen to this. Cause I think this would be so cool. So he does. I have his digits. One, yeah. I, I appreciate you. Thanks yeah. for letting me do this. So like one, one idea I have is some of the problem with like losing immersion in Starfield is like some of the decisions you make just don't matter where it's mm. like they'll, they'll murmur about it. And, and like, you know, you've heard that in other games too, where it's like you side with a certain que- um, like the Imperial or the uh, Stormcloaks in 
uh, Skyrim, right? And then like the world will kind of just talk about it. And that's the same with Starfield. But I feel like there's a missed mark here where I feel like it would be okay with New Game Plus involved for you to make a drastic decision for a faction that will cut off an entire storyline oh, because yeah. you sided with one thing. But then New Game Plus, obviously you can do that differently. But one thing I feel like they could do later in games is be like, with New Game Plus, you can actually have us impact a, the world in a way that we were like, oh, well, that changed things big time. That's you know, an outstanding just an point. That's an outstanding yeah. point because I feel like a lot of games nowadays give the illusion of player choice and that this dialogue action uh, option is going to have long lasting impacts deeper into the game. And the only games that I've played that have really made that feel real and like my my mouse or my cursor is hovering over one decision versus the other because I know that that dialogue choice is going to have an impact is like the Mass Effect series and The Witcher 3. Mm-hmm. And right. I think to your point, like, that's why I tend to not waste a tremendous amount of time on Bethesda games with dialogue options, because unless you're creating this weird like headcanon for yourself of like, like you're almost playing D&D in your mind, like you're creating the stories for yourself of like right. this dialogue option could have prevented this for that from happening, but it doesn't actually come to fruition in a meaningful way in the game. So I think that's a great point. And especially like maybe no better uh, opportunity than something like Skyrim or uh, not Skyrim, but Elder Scrolls six to implement something like that, because I think that would be fascinating. And I think it would be an, a really interesting evolution for Bethesda going forward uh, from a storytelling perspective, because I feel like they can be relatively safe with their storytelling to your point with the Starfield main story and even Skyrim and some other games past. So to, to implement something like that, I think would be really ambitious, but I'd be uh-huh. really interesting to see how it would play out. For sure. It's like, it's like taking the Bethesda formula, but just adding it new where you actually feel your choice mattered, you know, yeah. rather than just like the outcome of this quest line stands alone. It's like, yeah, the, the choice impacts the quest line, but not the world, you know, like basically what you're saying. But mm-hmm. it's like this decision will impact the world big time. Absolutely. That's awesome. Yeah, maybe someday for sure. And you never know, too. I mean, I, I have to imagine they're going to ride this out for a little while with some Starfield DLC you know, in the, sure. next, in the next couple of years. So um, more to come. Outstanding conversation about Starfield. I cannot wait again to jump back in the world. And hey, if, if you'll uh, if you'll join me again, we could do some kind of like Starfield, you know, spoiler filled discussion here in the future. Yeah. Just breaking down the story and, and, and all of its you know finer uh, side stories as well. Would love that. That would be great. Why don't you kick us off, if you don't mind, with another game? What have you been playing recently when you haven't been pumping time into Starfield? <laughs> um, all right. So another, like, just eating good RPGs this year, man. Um, and I know that uh, we've talked in Discord a little bit with some of the, the friends in there, too, about, you know, what you've been playing recently. And early August, picked up Boulder's Gate 3. Hell um, And yes. have been putting time and absolutely enjoying that game um qu- quite a bit i you know i don't i don't know if you've ever been interested in like the high fantasy like D aspect of things or if you've played D very much i haven't so this is like i feel like the stepping stone for me to begin getting into that so in 2020 mm-hmm. ryan lauren myself and some friends of ours were virtually playing D, which can kind of defeat the purpose because I feel like that's something you want to be in the room with someone, you know, going hard on that. But I feel like this has maybe streamlined that in a way or made it approachable for someone like myself that has never really gotten into D&D. So I, I'm, I'm really interested in hearing like 
What are your thoughts? How are you liking? I hear the writing is like unparalleled in the gaming sphere. Yeah. Oh, it is. It is crazy. And, you know, with us and obviously tons of friends of the show being in and, and growing up with video games as much as we have, this experience of playing Boulder's Gate 3 was just so unique. Mm. It was like the amount of just choice and openness in the world of D&D just seemed like it was unobtainable, but this is as close to that wall as possible. And it, it's been so good. Um, it looks amazing. It sounds great. Uh, the voice acting is just out of this world. Really? So good. Oh yeah. So good. And, and the stories that there are so many ways to kind of peel back the onion, if you will, of these characters that you might miss a beat and their story might be told in a different way, you know, and that's just insane. Um, and, and, yeah, so I you know, I don't know if that if that helps and sell you a little bit, but I also think they do a a very good job with like bridging that gap of tabletop D and D versus like the virtual video game D and D. They kind of shave off the corners that could be intimidating, um, and also the way they also like put some of the mechanics in front of you just makes it feel like more inviting to like dive more in and look more into what this may look like while playing. Um, because they also give you a lot of foundation to, oh, you know what? I don't know if I really like this. I'm going to change it. And you have a way to do that immediately. You know, okay. like you can you can change your class and stuff like that, um, which I makes it, it makes it feel comfortable to kind of experiment and learn what that's like. Okay. Well, talk to me a little bit about the combat itself, because that's always been a major curiosity. I haven't watched a tremendous amount of gameplay footage necessarily to this point. But it sounds like it is turn-based in some capacity. So I'm curious, like, is it overwhelming? Is there a steep learning curve? What is that like? Yeah, great question. And the the world and the way they do combat is so dynamic because, you know, you, you know a little bit about D&D when it comes to, like, initiative, right? So you get into a battle, you roll initiative to see your, your uh, turn order. Uh, but the way this is also working is that the world doesn't stop around you if other party members get into combat. So let's say you have a party of four, right? You're sneaking around to the back of this enemy group to do something or or whatever, but they catch you. you that one character is in combat, but not the other three. Oh, interesting. So they could still move not in initiative order freely until they enter the combat. So it's like juggling that could can be difficult like let's say you get caught up in the combat with two characters you totally forget that you have two characters not in combat yet yeah so it's like you're facing this group with only two people actively in combat and so the action economy could be off until you realize to to fix that so it is i i will say after playing solo and then having a couple campaigns going right now with friends i would highly recommend especially if you want to get into this to play it with other people. Okay. Because I think the experience is so much more rich. Uh, yeah. There, there's some shortfalls where uh, conversations in the world, quote unquote, only happen once. So mm-hmm. like main story conversations, uh, if, if one character initiates it, that conversation's like not going to happen again. So like if you're not initiating it, you listen in on it. And all of the checks and things like that are based on the character that initiated it. So, you know, that kind of thing could 
maybe deter you because it's like, oh, well, what if I wanted to do that? Or, you know, if, if you if the other person keeps stumbling into it, you're like, oh, I feel like I'm not having an impact on the world that we're playing in. Yeah. Um, so that's one setback with playing with other people. But in the grand scheme of things, it's so much better. Because okay. then you can also enjoy the action, the action and combat so much more because the action economy is split up. So you're only controlling two people versus four. So yeah. you kind of learn how to play and get into character with the with less amount of actions to take, which is good. That makes sense. So with that being said, when you're playing with other friends, are they are everyone able to reap the rewards and take that back into their game? Like, could you play for ten hours with some buddies? And then continue to progress solo or do you have to go into a specific gameplay settings to play co-op and you can't carry those rewards into solo play? How does that work? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, too. And, f- and from my understanding, if you are the person that like started the campaign and like hosts it, you can go in anytime you want and progress. Um, OK, and so I believe those player characters that your friends created, if they're in the party at the time, they're there and you're controlling them, I believe. Okay. Yeah. So, so the person that has created and and hosts the campaign can continue, but I don't believe you can jump in it if if you're someone else. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Mm-hmm. How's the music? I'm curious. Is it like kind of like Skyrim esque, or what is it like? I think it's its own breed a little bit. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't. I don't even know how to describe it, but I, I think it's a little bit more like punchy fantasy okay. kind of music. All right. Um, you know, rather than than perhaps some of the 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 long stroke fantasy music of Skyrim, if that makes sense. Yeah, so no. they definitely have their their own unique vibes, and it's very good. It does. Okay, are you playing this on Series X or are you playing this on PC? I'm playing on PC. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah, because I, mean, I think it is it just P PC PS5. I think it. I don't know if it's come to Xbox yet. Not yet. They, okay. I think. Last month or so, they they made an exception for like the um, uh, I, I can't remember what they called it, but the thing that like it has to run the same on Series S and Series X. Got it. They lifted that for Baldur's Gate so they could get it on Series X before the end of the year. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Well, mm-hmm. man, I don't know if there's any chance I get to play this game this year because there's so much other stuff I want to get to, but it is definitely at the top of my list. I really, it's unlike anything I've played and. Maybe I'm on an island with this opinion, but there was a tremendous amount of hype and excitement coming in this year for Tears of the Kingdom, Starfield, Final Fantasy 16. I kind of feel like Baldur's Gate 3 kind of just kind of came out of nowhere and then just lit the world on fire. You know what yeah, I mean? Big time. Big time. Well, I think part of that is, you know, it wasn't even on my radar, but it was in early access for three plus years. Oh my god! You know, it started early access in 2020. So I think in that early access, you had access to the full uh, um, chapter one, if you will, of the game. Mm-hmm. So that was the very well played and 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 tested and, and kind of refined for the entirety of the of the system so i think for it being in early access for three plus years people like knew it existed and you know have put in their time but then with the full game release the hype really came within the first week or so and the fact that they it wasn't a delay it was a push-up it was like that you just yeah. don't see that very often no you do not yeah they actually did that with assassin's creed i think to kind of give some space between that and Spider-Man 2, but you rarely, okay. rarely see that. Yeah. Right. Um, right. So that was a treat. Very so, cool. Well, hey, if you, if you, even when you pick it up, you just let me know, man, let's go. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Let's hop into a campaign together. No, it'd be a tremendous amount of fun to play that together for sure. Well, I'll sneak one in here. I won't spend too much, ter- uh, too terribly long talking about this. Uh, we all know that Rusty's gone a little, uh, you know, off the rails when it comes to the Assassin's Creed series in previous years. And so, uh, or in the past few years, and one of my most anticipated games coming into this year was Assassin's Creed Mirage because it was kind of pitched as kind of going back to the roots of the stealth old school series before they turned into these gargantuan giant Witcher three type open worlds. And I've only played a few hours to this point, maybe five to six hours uh, doing a bit of side stuff while still focusing on the main quest just because I wanted to get in some more of the spooky stuff uh, before, you know, going hard on the next Assassin's Creed game and initial impressions, pretty positive. I think they've done what they set out to do in terms of more of the focus on stealth, not a giant open world. You can beat the main story in about 10 to 15 hours, so it's not too terribly long. It comes in at a little bit of a budget price of $50 versus $70. Uh, I still think that for non-hardcore Assassin's Creed fans, you know, wait a couple months, pick it up for $30. If a couple different things, before I get into the specifics, like if you were someone who hasn't played Assassin's Creed since maybe 2 in Brotherhood, maybe Assassin's Creed 3, You've stayed clear of the giant open world games, but you're looking to scratch that old school Assassin's Creed itch again. I would even say don't go directly to Mirage. I would say go play Assassin's Creed Syndicate because that's probably top two favorites for me. It's set in London of all places uh, during kind of the Industrial Revolution. You kind of tag team with two separate characters. You're doing side missions for Charles Dickens and like all these people and stuff. It's getting around the world is so fun because you kind of have this hook shot. So you can kind of just like bionic commando your way through the london and stuff like that <laughs> tremendous amount awesome. of fun and I, and that was the last kind of old school assassin's creed game before getting into the open world scene um so i'd go there before going directly to mirage and i say that because this game was built within the assassin's creed valhalla engine so it kind of gives the illusion of like hey you can walk into this um into this area and you can kind of pick these people off one by one but like it is, in my experience at this point, nearly impossible given these environments and how they're set up to pick people off one by one because you can't hug walls like you can crawl or not crawl, but you can um, you can crouch and kind of sneak around the environments, but you can't like hug walls to kind of see what's around the corner. And that just really isn't conducive to the old school stealth Assassin's Creed mechanics. Um Interesting. So something to keep in mind uh, beyond that, I'll say some of the positives, really strong score. Uh, it has kind of this Middle Eastern flavor to it because it's set in Baghdad, like think Arabian Nights type of deal, like from a, like the, the Aladdin soundtrack. That's that's kind of like definitely caught me off guard. Really strong so far. Decent start to the story. You play as this man named uh, Bassam who was in mm-hmm. Assassin's Creed Valhalla. So in the grander uh, Assassin's Creed storylines. This takes place before Valhalla, and this is Basm basically joining the Hidden Ones, who is kind of this assassin in training. And that's kind of a nice beginning to the story because a lot of these Assassin's Creed games, you're more established already, and you understand the finer mechanics of Assassin's Creed. This, you're kind of learning the ropes from square one. So that's that's okay. you know quite a bit of fun. And because like the Assassin's Guild and the Templars like aren't a thing, right? Yet, yeah, they're kind of like, OK, okay. yeah, not yet. Not in this game. They're kind of known as. um, Oh, I can't remember like 
it, it's basically the secret organization of people that you kind of have to go take out. You know what I mean? Love it. Okay. Um, okay. The other interesting thing. So I haven't played Unity to completion, AC Unity. That was set in France during the French Revolution. And what's interesting about that game is, you know, in, in the grander old school AC games, you have one particular person that you have to assassinate. And typically, you know exactly where they, they are. Maybe you tail them for a while, or maybe you just go directly into their building and, and take them out. Unity did something different, and they kind of borrowed a note from the more recent Hitman books where okay. it'll kind of set up a couple different scenarios. And so you'll see at the very onset of the mission, hey, maybe you could talk to this merchant and hire some um, some guards, disguise yourself, walk right through the front gates, and then kind of sneak your way around the level and take out the person. Or maybe you go up on the top of the building, take out each individual guard, and then go through the rafters and then jump down and take them out. It gives you kind of that okay. option to kind of be creative from a hitman side of things of, you know, many ways to take out the guy. Mirage does something similar where when you have this person locked in and identified, you need to take out that person. It'll set up a couple different situations where you can give you a little bit more freedom of how you approach that assassination, which is kind of neat. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, for sure. Because like I, I did fall off exactly like you were saying with like after Assassin's Creed two and all of that yeah and it's really cool that they've incorporated that because i remember back in the day with assassin's creed one and two where your sense of freedom of how to do that is basically you either attack them on this building or you go to the other building and attack them there it's yeah like nothing like real options you know exactly so nice in that regard the other thing i'll mention before moving on is that the parkour is kind of rough in this game like you remember oh. in old school assassin's creed games where you're running away from a bunch of dudes and then Ezio or whoever just freaking jumps onto a tree and you're like, that is not what I intended to do there. You know what I mean? Yeah. This yeah. game is very similar where it's like, Bassam, come on. That is not how you should naturally control. Like you need to jump out this window. Don't climb up the rafters. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and you think at this point they would have ironed out those things and they have in a lot of prior Assassin's Creed games. So in that sense, this feels like a little bit of a step back which is frustrating, but it hasn't been so disruptive where I'm like, I'm tired of this game. I'm moving on. It's more just, yeah. I want to play some spooky stuff and I put Mirage kind of on the back burner for now. So right. um, it's, That's fair. it's met That's my fair. expectations to this point. Uh, but again, for, for people that aren't like me that are Assassin's Creed super fans, wait for a sale, maybe pick it up sometime next year. So That's fair. That's fair. One quick question for you. And yeah. I know this is something that... Um, people have talked about ubisoft games especially when in, in the recent past when it comes to just like icon overload where oh, yeah. you're in the game 10 minutes and then you already have 50 icons on your mini map to try and figure out like is that still a thing in mirage since it's a little bit smaller of a of, of a game excellent question and i would say it's far less egregious in this game because okay. it's good i just actually finished up black flag um earlier in the summer and that game was just insanity i mean you open up the map and there is just like literally a hundred icons within a stone's throw of you and in mirage yeah. to this point anyways it's kind of like hey you have a merchant you have a blacksmith you have a place you can sync up and you have your main mission and a couple smaller okay. things here and there but yeah not like and, and maybe i haven't gotten to the point where i collect <laughs> the first collectible and then a hundred of them appear in the map <laughs> yeah, type right. of thing so maybe we just haven't you know progress to that story point where it gets a little intense with the icons but i would say at least early on not too egregious okay that's good that's yeah. good i love that <laughs> yeah 
Um, but yeah, that's that's all for me with Assassin's Creed Mirage. I only have one other game I want to talk about, but I'm curious. Anything else for you that you want to bring to the table? Yeah, absolutely. Just like you, I have, I have one thing to touch on, and, and it'll be pretty quick because I haven't sunk my teeth into it because it was on sale literally maybe the week or two before Starfield came out. But I was like, this is a game that I've heard so much about, and it just feels like I should check it out. And that's Inscription. And I'm sure oh, yeah. we have friends of the show for sure that um, have dove in and, and enjoyed this game to its fullest. Um, and I don't know if you know much about it at all. I don't. No, please tell me. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Have you ever like seen played um, like Slay the Spire games? Is games that the like card that card game? Like the kind of the mm-hmm. I haven't played it, but yeah, I've heard of it. Yeah. So so it's kind of like a, a rogue light card game like that. So you know uh, pieces of Hades, pieces pieces of uh, Slay the Spire, um, and it also just has a very unique art style. Okay. Just absolutely gorgeous and you know you're thrown in basically you're you're in this like secluded lodge and you're inside and there's this like delusional person in the dark that you're playing this card game against that it's basically a card game that they invented you're thrown in and you're basically uh, this like kid character that doesn't really know what's happening yeah and you're like stuck here to get out you have to like play him in this card game and the music's great the art style is great so it's also hitting those spooky vibes okay a little bit but yeah. you know you'll play and and the the thing i love about it so much is that sometimes i struggle with games like uh hades and like roguelites where i i love it for a little bit and then the loop i'm like oh I, i'm just like not getting enough progress to yep. feel good about it um but this game is so unique in a way that the loop is the same but it adds so much more dynamic each time you do it okay where like things are not the same each time or you learn little bits about the story that might unlock a certain box in the cabin and then then you'll get a special card that that is now in your deck and that'll like change the way the game plays it's like stuff like that and each time you die and have to start the loop over again you create like a custom card so let's say you had a card that you really enjoyed you could take a piece of that put it on your custom card and now that's in your deck okay so it's like throughout the game you're building your perfect deck to like just blow through the loop again and again and again so yeah, yeah. long story short it's very cool would highly recommend that's interesting yeah I've, I've never really gotten into games that have that kind of card mechanic involved and so the roguelike aspect of it is really interesting is this something on game pass no, I, I uh, at least not yet. Okay. I okay. picked it up on sale. It was like 11 bucks. But like this would also be one of like a perfect like Steam Deck or Switch games. Okay. Too. Just absolutely perfect. Short bursts, laying down on the couch. Yeah. Comfy, cozy drink. Like, yeah. Okay. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Very curious. I definitely want to check it out. I think our good friend uh, Blink was really interested to play this one. He may, he may mm-hmm. already have. I can't quite okay. remember. Um, yeah, he'll have to let us know for sure. Good stuff. Well, the last thing I want to talk about is not to start revealing like my game of the year type stuff in awards, but we have an award of like biggest surprise and coming into the year. I remember seeing this tease is kind of like the Bloodborne clone. And that was a little game called Lies of P. And it's kind of like a souls like aesthetically very much kind of the gothic Victorian horror type looks of Bloodborne. You could tell they were trying to emulate that souls like formula, but I was not planning to get this game day one. And I, of course, renewed my Game Pass subscription because of Starfield. 
hold on a sec. Like, we just got to say, like, how insane is it that Starfield day one on Game Pass? That's yeah. wild. Just diabolical. Yeah. Just absolutely crazy. Doesn't make and any yeah, sense, to, but amazing. It, yeah, it's nuts. Um, And so I've been playing most of my third party stuff on PlayStation for years but I think that narrative is changing quite a bit because I've really gotten out of the trophy collecting scene. And especially when you have stuff like the Plague Tale, uh, Rec- is Requiem the sequel or is, uh, I think so. Yeah. Requiem, because I think yeah. any innocence was the first one. Requiem is on game pass right now. I installed that. Can't wait to eventually play that. Um, and lies of P day one day and date game pass title. And I'm like, hell yeah, yeah. let's put, uh, Starfield on pause and let's give this game a go and see how it holds up. Is it anything like Bloodborne? And I have to tell you, I have been absolutely blown away. I've beaten the game. I've started a new game plus run. Um, the let's roles go. have been reversed because typically Ryan is like the teacher and I'm the student and he's like walking right. me through, Hey, you need to get this weapon. This is the best place to farm experience points, all these different things. And now I'm like, you know, Ryan's texting me and saying, how do you do this? What does this mean? Why do I have this to deal with this mechanic? And I think that was one of the most exciting things about lies of P for me is that there was so much unknown and I was going into it with eyes wide open and I got to experience it for myself without any preconceived notions of what I was going to experience and and also not any idea of what to look out for because I was discovering it for the first time right right and so on the outside looking in it looks super bizarre because everyone has said (laughs) how in the world do you build a bloodborne type game centered around the story of Pinocchio which yes, is, I was, is stupid. Oh, I was literally asking about like yeah. asking you this question. I was like, what is this about? Yeah. This is just <laughs> so to kind of give you the spark notes version. It's meant to be a darker, almost Tim Burton uh, type approach to a story with a lot of the from soft type storing methods, storytelling methods, I should say, in that you're fed additional lore through talking to these NPCs uh, as you run around this world. And then as you talk to them, in many cases, they get invited back to this hotel, which kind of acts as your sanctuary, your hub area. This is where you're going to go in Dark Souls, Bloodborne-like fashion to level up your character, talk to a different NPC to upgrade or purchase weapons and equipment. And at times, when you progress a story to a certain point, you'll open up a door of this hotel to get to the next area of the game. And for reasons I won't explain, the puppets in this world, they revolt, they kill nearly all the humans, And then you awaken as young Pinocchio and you're kind of this robotic version of him and you make your way kind of like the first opening hours, you kind of make your way through the game. You get to the hotel, you talk to this young girl and she gives you a lantern. And oddly enough, this little lantern has a little cricket and his name is Gemini, not Jiminy, Gemini, who kind of guides you on the quest. It's so fucking weird. I have no real reason why they chose to to leverage the story of Pinocchio, but it works so well. And people are going to poke fun at it for not, and, and not even give it the light of day. But I'm telling you, Dark Souls is so bizarre with its storytelling approach because half the time I have no idea what's going on. You have these like weak, feeble people like whispering under their breath when you talk to them in the game and they're they're kind of like unraveling the entirety of the lore. So I'm like, Ryan, like what what the hell is going on here? And and he kind of has to, you know, explain the story to me. And that's not the case with Lies of P, where I feel like they do such a better job of actually explaining the story through these NPCs 
eventually meeting your father and creator Geppetto. And it's just, I don't know, it, it was so much more digestible from a storytelling perspective than some of something like Kingdom Hearts, where it's just nonsensical, or Dark Souls, where it's so cryptic. Right, right. Where, where it's like you have to go online if you really want to understand, like, yeah, what's going on kind of a thing. Exactly. So storytelling, definitely really fascinating. And I won't spoil anything, but the end game cutscene, like after the credits roll that teases the sequel. Oh my gosh. Let's just say they're, they're, they're going to take things in a really interesting direction that will continue to have people scratching their heads. Let's just say that. That's um, that's amazing. I, I'm I'm imagining the last cutscene is just his nose growing ten feet long, breaking it off, and that's his new weapon. Like, please tell me that's a part of it. It's not, but it is that stupid. Like, there are times okay. where, like, the game in a similar way to something like Bloodborne, it encourages you, encourages you so often to experiment with different weapons. And you have like okay. the the weapon that I mainline the entire game was a giant ass pipe wrench. Just imagine that, but about as long as a human. I use that. Right. You get you can get stuff like katanas, axes, just different types of swords and stuff like that. But you unlock them very frequently throughout the game and encourages you to not only experiment with them, but tailor your character's upgrades to complement that type of build. Because in Dark okay. Souls, in the beginning of the game, you typically pick a class. And in this game, you don't really do that. You just pick from like one of three weapons and and the weapons really tailor your character's build as opposed to your character's class tailoring which weapons you use, if that makes sense. Okay. Interesting. Um, Yeah. I love that. And and it's like, I I do, I do have a quick question if, if you're good. Um, so, you know, I've, I've been just notoriously terrible at Souls-like games, like so much so that like I... I haven't been able to finish Jedi Fallen Order because I just oh, really? have a very tough time with with the Souls like feel because uh, it's it's almost like that same feeling when you're playing a Bethesda game, right? You and you forget to quick save before you enter a dungeon, and then it, the dungeon takes twenty minutes, and you find good loot, and then you die, and then you have to go back to the beginning of it. Yep. So it's like that, and then I get that feeling where I'm in Fallen Order and I face a big. Uh, bug on my way to like my next quest marker and it's like I make it there and I'm almost there and then I die because of some unknowing enemy that I just like didn't dodge correctly yeah and I'm like no that's so disheartening so you know with with all of that basically I'm just saying my experience with souls like things are is just minimal yeah and so with lies of p maybe this is kind of like a two two point question one is for souls like people uh that enjoy those kind of games you know is there a mechanic in lies of p that adds to the Souls-like formula in a way that no other Souls-like games have done before mm-hmm. that makes it kind of interesting and fun. Um, and then do you feel like this is an actual Souls-like game that someone like me would actually be able to like pick up and and get through pretty easily? So I'll tackle the, the second question first around, is this the Souls-like game to introduce people that to this point couldn't get into the door, right? From a difficulty perspective, or maybe just aesthetically wasn't their thing. I would say yes, largely because of the convenience of Game Pass. And so what I mean by that is like, hey, give it a try, right? If you have Game Pass, install it, see if it's your thing. The game is hard as hell. Like from a difficulty standpoint, it doesn't really do you any favors in terms of like, hey, this is much more forgiving than Dark Souls and Bloodborne. Like the boss battles will kick your ass. However, 
similar to Dark Souls, similar to Bloodborne, before each major boss, you can basically spawn this thing called a specter, which is basically this AI controlled partner that will go into the boss battle with you and act as kind of a support. They'll go in there and they're just whacking and they're stupid, right? Because they're not going to try and understand the movements of the boss and dodge the different boss patterns and how they attack. They're just going to go in and whack, but that affords you the opportunity to learn the boss movements and figure out when you should strike, when you should dodge roll, when you should back out, when you should go in for the kill type of thing. In addition to that, you can completely cheese a lot of these bosses. And what I mean by that is you can have a specter come in with you and fight the boss. But beyond that, you can use a lot of different throwable weapons. So you can throw freaking fireballs, electric balls, just giant stones at these bosses. And really between the specter and these throwables, take off about 75 to 50% of that boss's health if you want to. Oh, wow. Right? Understanding that in true Dark Souls fashion, a lot of these bosses have two phases. So if you completely deplete yourself of throwables through that first phase and then you get in the second phase, your specter's already dead, you are going to get lit up type of thing. So there's definitely some strategy around when you use these different types of things. The other thing I'll say from a approachability standpoint is that Lies of P is tremendously linear. In Dark Souls, oftentimes there are instances where you don't really know where you're supposed to go and that's when i have to phone up ryan and say hey like what am i supposed to do here like it doesn't give you enough nods to say hey like you know some breadcrumbs to say this is where you're meant to go you need to open up this door you need to talk to this npc to initiate this door opening type of thing lies of p does a really great job of always kind of guiding you to that next place well, not being like that first party PlayStation game where it just feels like you're it's constantly holding your hand. Right. And beyond that, again, I keep going back to in true Dark Souls fashion, you have these things called bonfires in Dark Souls, which basically act as a checkpoint. So when you rest there, it fills up all of your health potions. It also spawns all of the normal enemy types. Right. How frequently you get to those checkpoints is very forgiving in Lies of P. Okay. Much more, I would say, than a Dark Souls versus a Bloodborne and, and Bloodborne. And so I think in that sense, when you when you couple it with the number of ways you can cheese boss battles, how linear the level designs are, where you can kind of just run to the next checkpoint and spawn it, and oftentimes those checkpoints are right next to major boss battles, I think it is much more approachable than some of the previous Souls-like games and mainline FromSoft titles. The other aspect that I'll mention before going back to your other question around how does Lies of P innovate the Souls formula, in Dark Souls and Bloodborne, you can oftentimes play online. So I could phone up Ryan and say, hey, I want to spawn you in to help me with this boss because it's too punishing. There is no multiplayer aspect in Lies of P today, and I highly doubt that they're going to patch something like that in. So you really kind of are left to you know, yourself, yourself and the specters that you can spawn uh, in terms of support on, on boss battles. Um, so does that make sense? Yeah, it does, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, I appreciate that. Maybe maybe what just happens is that I just need to like drink enough beers that I feel frisky enough to try another Souls like out. That's right, <laughs> so. dude, because there are times where you just, you go in too anxious to these boss battles and for the number of times, like the perfect antidote is just walk away. Walk away, right. clear your head, loosey-goosey, loosen up a little bit, get patient uh-huh. again, because 
what happens so frequently in these games is you just tense up and you get so pissed off because you've died like 25 times against this boss right. and you just keep kind of going in and trying to white knuckle it and you need to just relax. Like that's the best thing. Right. You don't need to farm up a bunch of experience points, level up, just relax, go back in with a fresh mind and you typically beat it another one or two attempts, right? Right. Love it. And then you feel accomplished. You feel really good. You do. And I mean, Ryan and I've said this umpteen times over, just a sense of gratification and satisfaction, how rewarding these games are when you finally tackle that boss that has just been kicking your ass forever is just yeah. so satisfying. Um, right. Right. Two things on the subject of how does Lies of P differentiate itself from previous Souls-like. M- maybe three. The first is just the level of polished. I feel like this game is just, it, it is remarkable how this developer's only previous game is some MMO that completely flopped. And then they created this game that runs at a sputtery smooth 60 frames per second constantly. I don't feel like there is an overwhelming number of mechanics to learn. Conversely, I won't go too into it. I just started the Lords of the Fallen, kind of the rebranding of that previous game that came out a decade ago. And that game is just Mm -hmm. overwhelming with how much it's trying to introduce tutorials, just a bunch of stuff. Lies of P so organically builds on itself throughout the course of the game and introduces new mechanics, new upgrades, new weapon things that you can kind of add to your tool belt and how the combat all comes together and how you need to literally leverage every tool in your tool belt to take down these these monsters, these bosses is mind boggling and it feels so freaking good. And that is just awesome. And it's so, again, going back to the word surprise, because so many games try to emulate the Souls formula and it's, I'm, I'm not even going to try to use an analogy because it's going to come across really poor, but if you've played Souls-like games, you know, when you play a Lords of the Fallen or you play Thymesia or you play Mortal Shell, these games that are trying to emulate something that does, that does it so well, you always walk away and you're just like, ah, it doesn't quite have it. You know what I mean? There's just something missing. Right. In Lies of P, if I had, if I didn't know any better, I would have thought this game was developed by FromSoft. It, it, wow. It's a testament to its quality. It's a testament to they knew the assignment and they executed on it phenomenally. This is not right. just the best Souls-like game I've ever played that isn't developed by FromSoft. Nolan, not to spoil anything, this is my current game of the year. Ahead, of, ahead of Final Fantasy 16, ahead of anything else understanding there's some recency bias this game just moves along at such a quick clip it doesn't waste your time it doesn't have a bunch of nonsensical bullshit shoved into it just to kind of try and differentiate Uh itself from other souls likes everything has a purpose its story is ridiculous but gripping and unlike resident evil and even skyrim to a certain extent and even dark souls when you pick up these parchments these notes these letters around the world I typically just let that go into my inventory and move on with my life. I was opening that shit and reading every single word because it it helps to really build up the world and the lore and kind of tease the next boss and how everything went to shit and everything's corrupt and how it all comes together towards the end. There's like two or three different endings that you can kind of like initiate based on your decisions in a similar souls like fashion. It's so freaking good, dude. It's so good. I love that. I love that. I'm over here cheesing. I know our listeners can't can't listen to this, but like how animated and passionate you are about this is just so cool to see and listen to you. Like a game like this, I feel like outside of my inexperience with Souls-like stuff, 
just a game that just feels refreshing and also just feels like it values your time yes. and, and and it and it knows exactly what they put in there for each purpose that it feels like you're not missing out on anything because everything else makes sense in why you're using it in the game. That's so cool. Yeah, dude, it's it's outstanding and there's no excuse for people not to play it right now because it's on Game Pass. Highly recommend people give it a try. Um, if you need help and you give it a try and you're like, Rusty, this boss is kicking my ass. Phone me up. We'll get on the phone. I'll walk you through the strats. I'll help you out. Right. I mean, Ryan, he literally just texted me now while we were recording, asking me a question of how do you do this? And I'll get to him after the show, Ryan. <laughs> but dude, it is so good. It has been a tremendous surprise. Shout out to this team. They knocked it out of the park. So cool, man. Awesome that you got to enjoy that. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're just selling me on why I should get into it for sure. Yeah. So. Well, if you need help, let me know. But um, my goodness, dude, what a games recently played segment this has been yeah i think it's about time we we press pies we refill our beverages maybe take some bathroom breaks encourage our listeners to do the same and then when we come back we'll quickly hopefully not spending too too much time rattle through our top five horror backlog games what do you say yep i love it man let's do it go like we said at the top of the show like we just teased we are going to be talking about our top five horror backlog games i know that there is plenty of scary stuff sitting on my shelf that i'm like nope not this year and uh it's it's less about the desire to play it and more about i don't have the courage to actually step into right. those worlds so <laughs> i'm curious what was your approach for building this list did you rank the games did you limit yourself one game per series how did you build your list Oh, that's that's great. Honestly, I built my list on experience. There are well, th there there's three games I've dabbled in and two of them I had to stop cuz I was freaked out at the time yeah. and just haven't gone back. So those were like, okay, 100% already on there cuz there's, like there's like a story behind that. Um and then one of them was actually put on because I want to beat it to take advantage and, ex and, and explore uh, the new stuff coming out, if that makes sense. We'll get yeah. into it and you'll understand what I mean when I when I say them. Okay, good yeah. stuff. How about you? Yeah, that was kind of like originally I was just rattling off. Like if you go to like the top 25 horror games of all time, a lot of those games I haven't played. And so I was just like, yep, that's number one. That's two. That's three. And then I already had a list of five. And then I'm like, no, let's let's mix this up a little bit because I have some games on the shelf that are kind of like spooky adjacent 
And then I've yeah, added yeah. games to my Xbox and PlayStation wish, wish list, like some indie stuff that I'm like, no, let's, let's pull this on. Let's let's remove that one. So kind of all over the board a little bit. Um, I have some definitely like traditional, like scare the heck out of you horror games. And then I have, again, some spooky adjacent stuff. So um, I can go ahead and kick us off. I didn't let's rank these in any particular order. This is just kind of we're just going to rattle off this list. And this first one is a game that you actually already mentioned. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts. No spoilers. And that's Play Dead's Inside. Oh. Yeah. And it, cause it's on Game Pass right now. I played Limbo on the, uh, the, the, uh, what was it? Xbox Live Arcade back in the day on 360. Loved Limbo, kind of this, you know, third person puzzle platformer, not too terribly long, very dark aesthetic type of deal, almost like a Tim Burton directed video game. Yeah. And I remember when Play Dead's, or when Inside came out many years ago, I think you're like me and you are a pretty big fan of Game Informer, right? And a lot of those editors back yeah. in the day. Um, I know I point yeah. to Ben Hansen as being a huge inspiration for me from a, a podcasting perspective. And I really like that kind of crew of people. Kyle Kyle Hilliard, I believe, back in the day. Yes. He he yeah. reviewed Inside. And I remember him talking okay. about it on at that point it was the Game Informer podcast when Tim Turry and Ben yeah. Hansen, I think, were the the, the the lead hosts on it. And I only say that because it's like just vivid memory that I point back to inside and say, he loved it. I really need to play it. And I've heard it's almost similar to like a Bioshock, Bioshock Infinite, where there's kind of just like this mind-boggling moment in the game. Yes. And I have no concept, context or concept for what that could be. I just know that I need to sit my butt down and firmly plan it on the couch and play it. So curious yeah. from your perspective, thoughts on inside. Love that. Love that. And, and, oh, nice beer. I love it. Drinking it. <laughs> That's so good. Drinking a dark one. Yeah, I had to. I love it. I love it. Um, I didn't even think about that. Uh, well, so inside was honestly just a random pickup because it was on Game Pass. Yeah. And I was like, I've heard just like you kind of the positive vibe and, and talks about it. And, you know, since it's kind of cooled off because it's been years since it, it came out. Um, and I've never really experienced the kind of games like that because that developer also has done a lot with like Limbo mm -hmm. and then Cocoon, I think, that just came yeah. out. And so that kind of storytelling was so interesting and invigorating to me where it was like, it was music and atmosphere yes. of where you're running. And it is it is something so unique that I will remember that game for the rest of my gaming life yeah. for sure um, because of that. And you're exactly right. Once you hit that tipping point, the only thing in your mind is like, what the fuck is happening? This yeah. is like, what? Yeah. Yeah. And so it's... It, 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 it's such a slow build, but one of those games that also respects your time because it knows it only needs to do so much to get you there. Yeah. So it's like, you know, five hours or so, give or take, and it's an easy lift. Yeah. Okay. Well, good stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not sure if I'll sneak it in here before the end of October, but we have two weeks and it's already installed on my Series X. So, so we'll see what happens. But anyways, what are you going to cue us up here with? What's your, what's your first pick? Love it. And, and this is going to tie directly into the few episodes and the time that you and Ryan spent together with this. And my first one here is Resident Evil 7. Oh my gosh. Biohazard. Yeah. Oh man. It's like th this is this this was my first dip back into Resident Evil uh post like Resident Evil 2 and stuff on like N64, right? So yeah. I was like, all right, what's this what's this about cuz you know, it's kind of like a reboot, a new style for the RE games uh and 
let me tell you, this is one of those games that I did start and and it's still in the backlog because I was scared shitless. And like, I did not do myself any favors because this was when Michelle was in grad school. Oh no. One bedroom apartment, spooky season. And I was like, you know, she's still in school, uh, like on campus doing work. I'm by myself with our cats. Uh, you know, I'll dim the lights uh, and let's just see what this is about. And I got maybe hour and a half, two in after you got your hand cut off oh. and then now you're being chased by the dad or whatever yeah. i was like fuck that i can't i can't and i put it down and i haven't been able to pick it back up like i was terrified yeah that <laughs> i first of all do not blame you at all that was a historical talking about this episode because i think that was the first time we basically like lifted the restrictions on what we could say and i was just like throwing the f-bomb around because that scene when your wife or your possessed wife cuts off your hand like Yep. crazy town and just how that how capcom completely turned that series around because if you were along for the ride we've talked about it umpteen times over was completely evolving into this michael bay zombie film where it's just big bombastic over the top like you might as well cast Dwayne the rock johnson as the main character because it's just <laughs> stupid how action-oriented yeah. the games have become but to go back to its horror roots to be in first person walking up to that house in Louisiana and how they set the mood and the tone with just how creepy and gross that that house is to explore, let alone yes. your wife chasing you around the house, then the dad and everything that comes after that that I won't get into or spoil because you've got to play it at some point. Buddy, to your point, it's going to be shitless. To this point, the, the scariest thing I have ever experienced, movie, TV, game, <laughs> I don't care what it is. It is crazy yes. town scary and what I would love to do, I don't I don't know if they have this feature on Xbox or not, but Ryan and I love to do it when we're playing spooky stuff, is I'm able to share my screen with him and we can be mic'd up uh-huh. and play. Buddy, if you'll have me, I'd love to be along the ride for you playing yes. that game and trying to tackle it. Let's go. Well, the cool thing is since Discord has been integrated for both PlayStation and Xbox, you know, I could stream the game to Discord with you. Dude, hell yeah. We could even get some of the Otaku Brothers up. friends of the show in there to do that. Let's go. That sounds so good. Oh, man. Yeah. I, I would feel, I would still be scared, but I'd feel a little bit safer because I'm with you, you know? Well, and Nolan, but, <laughs> so. but that's so real, though, because Pete Door, for years, if you go back and listen to the old school All Gen Gamers episodes, he would not touch a horror game with a 10,000 foot pole. And now he spends. 30 straight days playing horror games and streaming them on Twitch because the first time yes. I've been going back and listening to Aldrin Gamers because that's just what I do. He played Amnesia. He really didn't play any horror games. He played Amnesia on that t- at that point. It was probably Justin TV and he streamed it with people and he talked about on the show how much safer he felt playing with an audience there, even though no one was physically in the room with him. It felt uh-huh. safer to experience that with other people. There's probably some psychology surrounding that. We need to probably consult someone about that. But that's so sure. that's so real. And I feel like if you stream that with me, even if it's just you and I, I feel like you could get through the game. Yeah. No, I'm with you. I'm down. Book me. Bo- book me on your Google calendar. I will, man. Yeah. I'll send an invite after this. <laughs> that's so good. You know, and, and, and just quick touch on this too, which... Uh, you know, on top of that, and then Resident Evil 8 Village, that once we get through 7, I definitely want to play Village. But something that I feel like they've done so well is crafting just 
bizarre stories that are just like so diabolically weird and crazy, yeah. which I think what makes it scarier than zombies. Yeah. But then I think they've also done so well with the sound design in there that it immerses you when it's kind of quiet and then you can just hear your footsteps on this rotted wood in the house. Yeah. It's like, it's the full package. It's crazy. It is, dude. And um, yeah, I mean, just on that subject, I, I love how Capcom has really penned the story that they're proud of between Seven, Village, and whatever Nine's going to end up becoming um, and kind of threading mm-hmm. the needle with like this Ethan Winters character and like, you're along for the ride. You want to see where his story is going next. So more to come i love our, our buddy chrono link 91 the last uh alec the last episode i had him on he's going through the entirety of the resident evil series with one of his good buddies and they're doing a similar yes. setup where he's sharing the screen he's playing while his buddy watches and hell man like nolan rusty like let's let's do it let's do the same thing you know what i mean um we, we can do that that would be a lot of fun so excellent pick. love it total respect my um my second one's kind of like a, a dual threat, kind of a two for one special because I have a HD remaster collection on PS3. However, uh, the rumors were true and they are remaking Silent Hill 2. Uh, so I think I'll probably just wait for the remake at this point. Uh, otherwise, it might be fun to, again, pull out the PS3 and play through Silent Hill 2. And I guess my, my question for you, Nolan did you ever have or did you ever experience playing demos on those jam pack demo discs on PS2? Yes. Oh, well, I, I also maybe not PS2, but I remember getting like the PlayStation Underground ones. Was it still Underground for PS2? But I remember the PlayStation Underground for PS1 that had oh, okay. demos on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So back in the day, my buddy and I, my buddy Scott, he must have been getting that magazine that you're talking about or something like that because he was getting right. these these jam-packed demo discs in the mail. And that's where I discovered one of my favorite PS2 hidden gems, uh, War of the Monsters. We, he and I played the demo of that game, ended up going to Blockbuster and renting it. But I remember as like eight, seven, eight, nine-year-old kids, there was a demo for either Silent Hill 2 or 3. Wherever there's a carnival and like these weird pink little bunny costumes, I don't know if that's Silent Hill 2 or 3 because again, I know nothing about the series, we as young kids play that demo and were terrified. And I just have this oh haunting, gosh. lingering memory of playing that demo. And I feel like it's it's time to, you know, like a, like a therapy session of sorts to tackle that childhood trauma a, a, as an adult. I think it's just about time. You yeah. know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. And then, you know, I, I'm almost thinking we're going to have to tag team Parasite Eve because I, oh, sorry. Is it Silent Hill? Yeah, Silent, Silent Hill. Hill, not Parasite Eve. I, I saw Parasite Eve someplace. I think... Uh, Petey was streaming Parasite Eve, so it was on my mind. Oh, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, because I'm also no experience with Silent Hill other than just, like, how crazy it was back in the day for Silent Hill for, like, all the fog in town and then just, like, the crazy kind of unraveling of the story. So, yeah. absolutely on board. And, and, and it's funny that you're kind of going this route in the conversation of games you're picking because some of mine that I, I picked, too, is part of that kind of remaster remake things happening and it is so cool to see this remaster remake happening to the horror genre because i feel like when it first started you know a lot of first person shooters and platformers and things like that uh but it's really cool to see it kind of bleed over into this with re1 and re2 remakes which are just absolutely amazing phenomenal um and then dead space uh you know oh yeah it is, and I th- it kind of has made the horror genre become 
like, I don't want to say mainstream, but so many people are interested in it for similar reasons. Like there's so many people streaming throughout the month of October playing exclusive horror games, which I love to see. And yeah, it's just fun to see this resurgence. Now, the downside to that is if you want to pick up old, old school, quote unquote, horror games on PS1, PS2, like the prices for those physical games have just skyrocketed. But to your point, that's why these remakes have been so nice, because if you can't score a copy of Silent Hill 2 on PlayStation 2, well, the remake's coming. You know what I mean? So, yeah, 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 that's fair. Very cool. Um, Well, I just said my second pick. What's your second pick? Sure. So, you know, kind of in that same vein and also just like a gaming shame of mine is Alan Wake and something I have really wanted to get into, especially for how gorgeous and how big of a fan of Remedy. Remedy, dude. Alan, because you got me into um, Max Payne. Yeah, right, right. So Alan Alan Wake is one that I'm like, gosh, I just need to do that. And especially because I think they did release like an Alan Wake remastered, not too long ago so i think that would be a perfect way to do that because alan wake 2 oh man that looks so good it does it looks so good yeah have you ever seen twin peaks the tv show no no oh man. i haven't either i haven't yeah. either i just oh you haven't oh, okay yeah. i was like oh no. no you're gonna have to tell no, me no i just a lot of people compare alan wake to twin peaks and i've heard that people that okay. have watched that show enjoyed it that much more but i played it's actually a fun little tidbit I remember getting the collector's edition for Alan Wake back in the day on Xbox 360 and it, cause the uh-huh. main character is a writer. So it came with like this giant thick novel, uh, came with the DLC, I think maybe the soundtrack, or whatever. I no longer have it, but I loved Alan Wake when I played it originally on the 360. Um, I have the remaster on PlayStation digitally cause I think it was free on PlayStation plus or something like that. So I'm definitely okay. going to replay that in anticipation of playing Alan Wake two, probably not this year. But um, yeah. I think you'd like that game, and it's not I hit my desk. Talk about uh, new moves. It, it it's <laughs> it's not like over the top scary. Like it's creepy, right. you know. Um, but it's also like episodic. Like if you've ever played like a Telltale game, like once you beat a chapter, right. it's like previously on Alan Wake, and it kind of like re- oh, that's cool. Recaps the previous chapter and stuff, dude. You're gonna love it. It's good stuff. That's awesome. I think the remaster is definitely the way to go. I'm I'm pumped. Um. Yeah, I, I just think I think Sam Lake, that team at Remedy, just craft amazing stories. Yeah, um, yeah, so good for sure. Well, good stuff. Love the pick. I'm gonna take us to more of a spooky adjacent territory with my next pick, and that is a. I mean, we we can't make lists with Rusty without mentioning a 3D platformer, right? That's just how. We, oh, absolutely. That's just how we do business around here. So, Voodoo Vince. This was originally on the original Xbox. It has since been remastered. I have a digital version on my Series X. It's a 3D platformer where you play, as the name suggests, a literal voodoo doll. And I I haven't watched a tremendous amount of footage. All I know is that a lot of the game's levels have some sort of puzzle in which the character has to activate like a device and he has to inflict pain to himself to then do damage to like bosses and some of the enemies around him because he's a voodoo doll, right? And that's kind of how voodoo yeah. works, I guess. Um, it looks super goofy. Um, I, I'd probably liken it to something like Psychonauts, you know, in terms of like okay. a, an action platformer. But I remember Pete Door, I never really watched his stream, but he streamed the remaster and he said it's really, really good. Um, so has some spooky nice. elements, you know, aesthetically and thematically, but definitely not anything that's going to keep you up at night, but voodoo vents 
on the Series X, a remaster of a game on the original Xbox. I think that would be a, a fun little spooky game to play. Let's go, man. It's almost like the perfect, like spooky adjacent palette cleanser yes. in between, you know, your Resident Evils and whatever. hundred percent. Very like, very <laughs> much like a uh, pumpkin Jack, which I think I've talked about a number of times yes. on this podcast. Yeah. Very much yes. so. Very much so. Um, <laughs> pumpkin Jack. I remember, I remember you like putting screenshots up and stuff last year, I think of pumpkin Jack. Yeah. Yep. Yep. What a trip. Awesome. Well, what is your next pick? Sounds good. So in, in the vein of, uh, remakes and in, in everything. Uh, Dead Space is one that I feel like I really need to to pick up and play, um, especially with with the remake that came out or the remaster. I get confused. So I think it's just a remaster because it's not like a bottom and top. This is a thing, complete. Right? This was a complete remake. Yeah, this was like oh, was yeah, top okay, to bottom. Right. Yep, this was a remake. Nice. Okay, so th- I think that's definitely one I want to pick up. And this was also a game that creeped me out. So. When I first discovered and played this game, it was back on a 360 in a, one of my good friend's basements. And it was like a group of five guys that just, you know, back in the day playing Modern Warfare on Rust and stuff together. And we're like, oh, what's this game about? And so here we are scared shitless in this Dead Space game where talk about a game that also does so well with just environment sound design. Yeah, Dead Space, I think, is where it just absolutely kills it in a way that makes everything so terrifying and it was so deeply terrifying where there was nothing else to distract you like a hud yeah how they put all of that stuff just on your character and you almost just have a full hd screen of scary shit going on yeah what a way to like move the needle forward in terms of like survival horror because i think the way i understand it because i too have not played dead space i almost include the remake on my list as well his health bar is like a little meter on the back of his neck or something like that. Yeah. Fascinating. Like what a, a clever way to further immerse you into the sheer terror of the game. Right. Yep. Absolutely. And it's like the over the shoulder kind of mode. So it's like everything also just looks really up close because you're not like back far enough to see your entire legs and stuff all the time. So it's just like when they come at you and it's just like, oh, yeah, oh, it's good stuff. That's a great pick. And actually, it's funny you bring that up because... Uh, when Lauren was still traveling on her trip and I was kind of just bouncing around games and experimenting with some some Game Pass titles, Dead Space 1 through 3 is on Game Pass right now, the original games. And I'm like, well, let me yeah. download uh, Dead Space and just see. Because in some part of my brain, I'm like, I feel like I need to have an appreciation for the original before I play the remake. Almost like a Final Fantasy That's 7 fair. versus Final Fantasy 7 remake. But I played like 10 to 20 minutes and I'm like, no, I'm just going to play the remake. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just like, let me play the best, most polished version of this. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, and I feel like for horror games, that's a hundred percent the way to do it. Like if, if, if there's a remake, I mean, there's, I feel like as scary as it probably was back in the day, the, you know, as games progress, I'm sure that would probably take some of the scary elements out of it because it's like, Oh, you know, these polygons or the lighting isn't isn't in a way that that could could make it so much more impactful like a remake would. A hundred percent. And you know, people are probably gonna like be clippity clopping on and writing us notes. Yes, yeah, excuse me, right. <laughs> making some noise in the background. But like <laughs> me playing like the original Resident Evil like remaster, and people are like, Oh, that jump scare when the dog jumps through the window. Like, as an adult, playing that game now, having played all of the games I've played at this point like isn't scary understanding full well that back in like 1998 or whenever that game came out 
That's all we had at that point. I'm sure it was absolutely terrifying. But to your point, and I think what you're getting at is just because we've come so far graphically, a lot of those remasters just hit so much harder when you have all the graphics updated. The sound design is also updated and all that kind of stuff. So I think the Dead Space remake is definitely the way to go. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like, you know, terrible comparison here. But just imagine like you played Resident Evil 7 normally and then you do it in VR. Imagine it's just like, you know. I can't, I can't imagine. Like I, I bought a VR headset earlier this year. I played the first like 10 to 15 minutes of that, but yeah, there's no way I could play that game to completion. Like I'd like to kind of inflict that amount of pain on myself, but I think it's just too much, way too much to play Resident Evil 7 in VR. But, but yeah, the comparison between like Dead Space original versus remake, I think is a, is a good uh, kind of analogy there, but excellent pick. Is that, uh, was that your number three or four? Yeah, that was three. Three. Yep. Okay. So, so just a couple more. So my fourth pick here is an interesting one. I bought it like probably three or four years ago on the PlayStation 2, and I've not had the opportunity to take it off the shelf. And I wanted to watch the movie before I played the game based on the same thing. And that's The Thing. Have you ever seen John Carpenter's The Thing? Oh yeah, man. Such a good movie. Even to this day, that thing holds up. It's nuts. It really does. It's very much like, you know, Halloween, the 1978 movie. I watched the thing for the first time, I think last year and just how it ends and just how it's kind of like left up to the audience interpretation of like what's going on is Kurt Russell's character now the thing, you know, have they actually killed it type of deal. Incredible movie. The practical effects in that film is just out of this world. So freaking good. Highly encourage if you're looking for a good horror film to watch check out The Thing. The game, based on the movie of the same name, is a third-person shooter that takes place like a few weeks after the events of the film. So basically, these two teams of U.S. Special Forces Forces come in to investigate like what happened on that site. And as you might imagine, the game probably takes the lore, takes some liberties with the lore. The Thing is very much still alive and you have to kind of in third person shooter fashion, take care of business. If you know, if you know what I Love mean. That. So, um, it's yeah. been sitting on my shelf for a while. I'm not sure. I probably bought it for like, you know, 15, 20 bucks at the time. It may have gone up in price. I don't know, but surprisingly a game, like, you know, a lot of those games back in the, the day that leverage a movie property typically didn't do well review wise. And this game, like right. I pulled the IGN review when I was prepping for the show and it has like an 8.2. So like it did pretty well at the time. And I think it, it caught a lot of people off guard for being a, a relatively polished third person shooter. So, right, right. Yeah. I, I love this pick because just a like not not in the too distant past. I was looking at it on PS2 and was kind of like and, and everything I've kind of seen around it was it's kind of like one of those cult classic ones yeah. of like, you know, it's it it hits good. Like you you just don't think about it, um, and 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 it's cool that it like that it adds another layer to the thing. Yeah, that it's not just like okay, you're playing what happened in the movie. Exactly. It's like no, this like adds on to it, which is very cool. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I'm not sure when I get around to playing that. I mean, I think I I had bought that game with the idea in mind that like maybe someday I'll stream this, which isn't out of the question, yeah. but I, I've really kind of ruled out streaming for the foreseeable future, but uh, we'll see. We'll definitely see. But um, 
That's yeah, my fourth pick. Where, what, what is your fourth pick? Love it. Also kind of horror adjacent, but definitely some of those like themes. And also a gaming shame is Bioshock. Oh, especially probably wow. one and two. Okay. Yeah. And I and I have the Bioshock collection, like the remaster one, two. Well, I think the I think it has all of it in it. And I know you're a huge Bioshock fan because I you know I remember listening to Ataka Brothers when you were talking through Bioshock Infinite, you know, yeah. years ago now, because that was early Otaku Brothers, if I remember yeah. right. So uh, yes, so that is one of the ones I definitely want to get into just because, oh man, I've dabbled in Bioshock 1 um, and then I think I got to a point that I just got a little stuck. So I had to kind of back up, maybe change my um, like perk system or like change the way my my character fought combat. So I, I just didn't go, wasn't able to pick it up and go back. But it's so ominous with this kind of underwater deserted city and you're just like figuring out what happened. Yeah. Uh, It's, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, I always always point to, and a lot of people point to Bioshock as having one of those kind of just mind-boggling final moments. And and I would say Infinite, is is even more so and ryan was after i played infinite to your point ryan was like because i couldn't stop talking about it and i remember i finished it and uh frantic another friend of the show he dm'd me because i tweeted about it and we were just going back and forth because that's one of those things that you just need to like word vomit and talk to someone about it because it's just this (laughs) this experience that has to be like shared with someone else and there's just so much to dissect and talk about and bioshock maybe less than uh, compared to something like Infinite, which makes sense because it's the third game, okay. which is the first game, but still holds up so well. The remaster is terrific. An excellent first-person shooter that is creepy as hell at times. And out of all uh-huh. the video games I've played in my life, the single best hacking mini game ever. Like I could literally, if there was DLC called Bioshock Hacking, it's basically Pipe Dream, <laughs> the old school game on your computer where like you have to like right. tweak the different things around so that the pipe oil can like get all the way through. Yes. Freaking love it, dude. Like, and that is, you do that so often in Bioshock and it's just such a blast. Uh, the, the first person really shooting cool. mechanics are so tight. So yeah, when you get around to yes. it, I, I cannot wait to hear your thoughts. I'm pumped. And I have a really good friend, um, is a big Bioshock friend and, and well, not, sorry. Okay. Scratch that. I have a friend who loves Bioshock. Yeah, yeah. Not just a Bioshock friend. He's not only my friend because of Bioshock, <laughs> but he, he like was the catalyst to like get me to try it. Um, and something that really made me excited to get to that point was finding that Bioshock build that fits you and then you just like run train on yeah. it. And I feel like that's what also is part of the fun where they don't hold back from like letting you break some of the mechanics to just be like super powerful, which is kind of fun. Now, like, do you, does that kind of Bioshock one vibe of kind of that ominous like thriller not really knowing what this world entails does that carry through infinite as well or does it like change a little bit it's a little it it feels different but when it comes to the moment to moment gameplay it still feels strikingly familiar and it's also you're underwater in these dark dreary gross looking environments that again are very dark versus kind of this dystopian in the sky very steampunk kind of kind of vibes with Bioshock Infinite. So it's just a different flavor of okay. that, but it's storytelling and how they navigate that story and those kind of like mind-boggling reveals are still very much the same because Ken Levine or Levine the the main writer and creator of Bioshock 
he left for Bioshock 2, came back for Infinite, and it clearly shows. Bioshock 2 gets a lot of hate. I enjoyed it quite a bit. I actually played a tremendous amount of the game online on 360 back in the day, but I would say it's almost skippable between Bioshock 1 and Infinite. Like you don't, I don't think it's integral to ex- getting the best and most out of Infinite. You can play one and then go right to Infinite, in my opinion. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. Excellent pick. Love anyone that has not had a chance to play Bioshock because I love when when more people get to experience it for the first time. <laughs> right, so, right. Um, well, my last pick is something I just recently discovered when I was preparing for the show and, and maybe it was actually when Lauren was gone for the week. I was like trying to search for like the best recent short horror games, which actually led to me playing Bramble and the Mountain King on Game Pass, which I didn't talk about. Um, but it's excellent. If you like inside, you like limbo, you like short kind of third person puzzle platformers, check out Bramble. It's based on kind of Scandinavian folk- folklore, creepy as hell. Really good time. Enjoyed it. Love it. Yeah. I saw you tweet your beat about yeah, it. But, um, when I was in the midst of looking on those like top 25 lists of short horror games that you can beat that are, are more recent titles, I came across a game called killer frequency. Have you heard of this? No, but I am very intrigued. Nolan, I feel like this game is so much our vibe. So it actually came out in this year, 2023. It's a first person horror adventure game that takes place in the small town in 1987 where players control a DJ who acts as, and I'm reading this exact like Wikipedia uh, description, where players control a DJ who acts as an impromptu radio dispatcher when a serial killer returns to terrorize the town's residents. So you're kind of exploring this radio station. You're talking to your kind of co-host on a radio frequency. You're pulling vinyl off the shelf and spinning records and stuff like that. And then people call in and say, yo, there's like this psychotic serial killer. He's chasing me. I don't know what to do. I couldn't reach the police. I'm calling you. And so you're fucking pulling off maps and you're like basically showing him like, all right, take a left. Now turn right. Now you should see this tree, this, this freaking barn over here, go over there. And you're trying like your decisions and your dialogue options are, are meant to help these people navigate these environments to prevent them from getting killed by this serial killer as like this DJ. Well, my jaw is literally on the floor right now. I looked up some of these pictures and oh my gosh, man, what a game. That sounds so cool. How unique is that? It's like, it's like you're connected to the horror, but tangentially. And it's like, you're always afraid that it's like, is this, is this killer going to know that I'm helping these people and come find me? But like, even the looks of it, how cool is it that you're just like behind this DJ mic with like all of the soundboards and stuff like that? Yeah, it's it's fascinating. And so if you've played something like Gone Home, aesthetically, it looks kind of similar to that, almost like a cell shaded type of feel to the graphical style. But yeah, okay. I mean, it's kind of like your typical horror movie that like the first 20 minutes are kind of this slow buildup. And then when the escalation kind of starts, it's like, all right, man, we are in for something. We are in for a freaking ride. Um, and I don't know much more beyond it other than that. I actually think Pete streamed it a couple nights ago. And the hipster in me oh. wants to basically point to the fact that I discovered it before Pete streamed it. So this is I'm not <laughs> playing it as a result of Pete streaming it. I, I looked it up. I found I it. it. Yeah. But 
Um, that's so good. You were the one to recommend it exactly. to Pete to stream. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I, I, I love that. I'm going to have to look into this. So how, I can't remember, did you say like how you found it? I literally, I went on Google and I was just like short recent horror games or like maybe, maybe okay. I searched for like horror hidden gems or something like that. And okay. I just stumbled upon it and the graphical style immediately. Cause I, I saw a screenshot and I'm like, killer frequency. What's this about? And then when I started reading it, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. Like what a novel, like original idea that is unlike anything yeah. I've ever seen before. Wow. That's so cool. And then, okay. You know, how is the soundtrack? We're in the eighties here. You're a DJ spinning shit. Like, come on. The soundtrack's gotta be bomb, It, it has right? to be. And I don't know because like, as I, I pulled up a video on YouTube and I just typed in like killer frequency full game because I wanted to see like, okay, generally like how long is it? And I wanted to see some gameplay footage too. Otherwise I would have just gone to how long to beat. And, um, I didn't right. really listen to it. So but you are literally spinning like you are putting vinyl on and like you are the DJ. And so I'm really oh. curious. Like, I wonder if you can play music while like guiding this person through the freaking, you know, maze to try and prevent yeah. them from being killed. I don't know. Yep. I really wanted to kind of strike, like, stay clear from details and experience it firsthand. Yeah, a hundred percent. I love that. I, I like, I'm just picturing these people calling in saying, Hey, I'm going to die. And you're like, no, hold that thought. Let me find your theme song. <laughs> exactly. And then you just like roll through some of the vinyl. Yeah. See what's up. Dude. Yeah. Yeah. I have to imagine all kind of comes together like really organically um, because I think it reviewed relatively well. It's like a five hour game again definitely something to pick up and play during spooky season it's unlike anything i've ever heard of before uh and definitely yeah. seems like uh kind of like a an immediate cult classic you know going forward yeah for sure it looks like it's like 25 bucks on steam so i'm sure it's about that everywhere which isn't bad at all yeah so, um, so yeah maybe wait for a sale but definitely something to keep your eye on for sure yeah love that but uh yeah that's killer right. killer frequency killer frequency but what is your final pick, my friend? My final pick. Here we go. And then this is something that I've also um, was inspired by our, our good friend Blink as well, because I, I was um, watching him. I think he was streaming some of the Amnesia games because a new one came out last year. That's right. Yeah. And I think he was streaming it. Yeah. And so Amnesia Collection is the one here on my backlog that I want to get into. So I've always loved horror games that put you in a driver's seat like that. Um and in, and it's almost like there's an impacting factor of your character that changes the way that you're perceiving the world. So like amnesia, it's like you're going a little bit crazy and it's like, you know, the things that happen in the world is like, is this actually happening or what? And yeah. that kind of stuff is is crazy and immersive. Like, have you ever played Visage? Did you ever play that game? No, it was on Game Pass for a while and I think they pulled it. And I, I want to, mm -hmm. though. I definitely want to. Yeah very much the same kind of vibes and it just puts you in the driver's seat where you just have to like work with what your character has and you're like gosh this is nuts yeah so that's a great pick i um i've dabbled in in amnesia and kind of similar to your experience with resident evil 7 i'm like nope i'll come back to this probably never like yeah. <laughs> like because it's right. it's creepy as hell but definitely and i think most of them if not all of them are on game pass right now um there are so yeah definitely no excuse um, to kind of pick it up and give it a try. So, yeah, 
Oh, man. It's very cool. Well, now everyone knows what we're going to do once we get yeah, off. Yeah, exactly. We've <laughs> got plenty, horror plenty of horror games to get to. But wow, what a list. Hopefully people come away from this with uh, a couple recommendations or maybe more just general enthusiasm of, of tackling their horror backlog. But I've got to say, Nolan, this has been such a blast, incredibly refreshing. I haven't recorded an episode of the podcast. My last one was with Alec back in, I think, June or July. And it, it's been nice to take a break, but my goodness, has it just been so fun and refreshing to come back and chat it up with you. It's been way too long. Hopefully you had a good time. Oh man, are you kidding me? I appreciate you. It, it feels so good. And, and, you know, much like the feelings that you're talking about, it has, for me, it's been a very hot second since I've sat down and, and recorded a podcast, let alone a podcast of something that we enjoy so much together. Yeah. And it just feels good to just be here and love video games as a community. So yeah, I really appreciate it. And, and thanks for being so open for having me in the uh, co-pilot seat for this one. Of course. And I, and I mean it when I say this, like it, there are some friends that for whatever reason, life gets in the way, even when it shouldn't. And, and you months, if not years go by and you don't talk to that person. But then when you do, it's like you haven't skipped a beat. And that is honestly what today felt like. I felt like you and I just fed off each other's enthusiasm and passion for Starfield and everything else that we talked about so well. So uh, the thanks is to you for joining me because this has been such a treat and, and hopefully the listeners have enjoyed it as well. But my goodness, what, what a fun episode this was to record. Absolutely. I'll, I'll always remember, and I can't even, I can't remember what it was. Oh, it was Tony's wedding Tony's back in the day that brought us wedding. together. And I will always remember when we first got to know each other, we were like, how have we not been friends for like 10 plus years already? Yeah. Like the personalities, the the hobbies, the the vibes just gelled really well. So yeah, it's been, it's been a pleasure to be a part of the community that you created and and just see where it's at now and and contribute it in this way. So absolutely. So good. Very good stuff. Well, we will absolutely have you back on the show. We will not wait three years. That is for sure. <laughs> I want to pick your brain more about Starfield. And hey, if you ever play Bioshock, we got to have you back on the show to hear about your impressions for sure. But as always, whenever we have a guest on the show, I want to make sure that if there's anything that you want to plug, highlight, shout out for yourself, where can the people find you? Nolan, is there anything you want to bring to the listener's attention? Love it. You know, life has changed quite a bit since then. And the last time we did talk about, I had a lot more to plug. And, you know, with life happening and stuff, um, things to plug have have dwindled and I'm not as active when it comes to social media and stuff. Things I want to change, but I'm also lurking and and love following along with, with what you guys are doing. So if you want, feel free to hit me up um, on Twitter. It's just Nolan P. Gill. Um, and you can always find me if you go to Rusty's followers. I'm in there. Yeah. So um, other than that, yeah, just uh, always feel free to to stop by and say hello. And if and if you ever need anything, um, always here if it's just a, a friend that you're to talk to. So thank you, man. Absolutely. And hey, there's no shame in that. You know, it's so important. I think people nowadays, and I see it all the time on people that are creating stuff on YouTube, podcasts, or otherwise, they feel this obligation to keep going. And I, I am a, a, a true testament to how the importance of stepping away and just focusing on your life, because I think we get so caught up in the algorithms of, well, if I don't post this week, then my numbers will drop and right. your numbers are far less important than your life and your mental health. And, and, and I know that like 
it's just so necessary sometimes to step away 100%. Uh, and just focus on your life. You know what I mean? And YouTube, podcasting, all this stuff is going to be there when you come back um, yep. in a similar way that like you always have a seat here on a talk brothers and a place in our discord and, and, and stuff like that. So um, that's just me kind of on a soapbox. Cause I talk, I see so many people just feeling a need to keep going and it's just so healthy. You talked about like when you guys went across seas, you disconnected and just how refreshing that probably was for you guys mentally and your marriage and just you as individual human beings, you know what I mean? Um, so 100%. the importance of disconnecting cannot be overstated. And uh, I definitely encourage others to do the same uh, when you feel the need. But um, I don't want to end, you know, me preaching some, you know, content creation gospel. I, I do want to just thank everyone for listening to this episode, because like I said at the top, like Nolan and I, if you've been feeding off of our energy it's just been such a good time talking about games again, and there's much more to come with Utaki Brothers here in the near future. So please stay tuned. Thank you for your patience uh, in getting these episodes out the door, but uh, I have been focusing on my life and it's been much, much needed. So anyways, as we always say here in Utaki Brothers, if you're not in our Discord, get in there. Lots of fun discussion going on all the time with some wonderful, truly incredible people and keep playing if you can keep up with all of these great video games keep playing <laughs> yeah. them all right we've got super mario rpg super mario wondered down the pipeline spider-man 2 alan wake 2 uh -huh. we've got a freaking avatar game coming out in december go visit pandora with james cameron people we've got lots of stuff going on and stay healthy and we'll be back with more otaku brothers here in the very near future cheers